0: following announcement has been paid for by the wzwa network hi everybody this is former wwe superstar al Snow. snowy my name is eugene and you are watching the insiders edge podcast now get on the
1: train Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast here in conjunction with the WZWA Network. I am your host on my own, a lone wolf here tonight. I'm California Fury. Unfortunately, Jack Wallace could not be here tonight because uh, his dad has informed him that he has to work with him early. So that's what happens when you're 22 years old and you still live at <laughs> home with your parents. Uh, but... I, uh, it is my honor and privilege right now to introduce our guest at this time. Uh, I've seen everything that he has done in his time in professional wrestling, so very excited to bring him on. Uh, without any further ado, former member of Raven's Flock, this is the one and only West Hollywood blonde himself, Lodi. How are you going, brother? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it, man. Um, I've 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 seen, as I said before, I've seen everything that you've done in wrestling, and uh, really looking forward to this. Um, the first question I always ask is, is you know, how did you become a wrestling fan? How did I become a wrestling fan? I was probably
0: seven, maybe eight years old uh, when I first started watching wrestling. I grew up in North Carolina here in the states, and so what that means is. I grew up watching mid-Atlantic wrestling with Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff and the Rock and Roll Express and Rick Flair and Arn Anderson and the Four Horsemen and Magnum TA. So my wrestling roots are, uh, to me, uh, rooted in some of the best wrestling that was ever on TV. And I had the great pleasure of once or twice a month going to see those guys actually wrestle live. And so from the time I was seven or eight, I've been a wrestling fan the rest of
1: my life. That well, certainly is a pretty cool uh, <laughs> era to be becoming a wrestling fan. Um, it's, uh, the, the quality of wrestling at that point was you know, one of the best that there's ever been. Um, what did you do uh, in your life before you actually got into the wrestling business?
0: Uh, I went to East Carolina University. I graduated with a degree in political science. But my second year into college, I got really involved in bodybuilding, working out, and hired a personal trainer that was phenomenal at motivating me to Get in better shape become a bodybuilder the whole nine yards So when i graduated the first thing i want to do is open a personal training studio so my business partner who was my workout partner and i started a personal training business and through college i actually had a roommate who was another meathead friend of mine who actually did independent wrestling and invited me a couple of times to come join him and maybe learn how to work and wrestle i was putting myself through school and i was bouncing seven nights a week and i just didn't have the time or the money uh, to get into it. I, I wanted to graduate college and get out and did, like I said, just didn't have the the means to make it work. But my second or third year only my personal training studio had a guy come in one day and asked me if I would be really like to sponsor a local wrestling show. And we got to talk of course, being a wrestling fan and you know, he was bringing in some indie guys and he happened to mention, he said, you know, this was when I was still a competitive bodybuilder. He said, you've got a good body. You know, you're big muscular. Have you ever thought about being a professional wrestler? And I said, yeah, and I told him kind of my story, my history. And he said, well, my actual wrestling trainer would like to get in better shape. and Maybe you could meet him, and maybe you could train him in the gym, and he could train you in the ring, and you could actually do a trade-out or something that might possibly work. And it turned out his wrestling trainer was C.W. Anderson. So I uh, went up and met C.W. and started training with him the following week. And that's kind of my story of how I got started.
1: Awesome. Uh, what was the experience like with C.W. Anderson?
0: Uh <laughs> you know, CW and I, CW is one of my greatest friends in not only in wrestling, but outside the wrestling business. Um I met him in nineteen ninety-five. So you're looking at we've had a long, long term relationship. And one of the, the funniest stories I have to share that I run a wrestling school now and, and train kids and I have off and on for years, but I have my own, you know, in, in my personal training story, I have my own ring now. And we wrestled two or three nights a week. And that's all fine and dandy. But I always have to share with him the story of how I broke in the business. So I went up. And so where I lived was in Greenville, North Carolina. And CW School was about an hour and a half away. And now when I say it's wrestling school, I'm telling you, it was a wrestling ring in a barn that had a, a true barn at a nursery where they raised all kinds of plants, et cetera, whatever. And the barn was full of stuff. In other words, the ring was in the corner, but you couldn't go outside the ring because there were tractors and bags of feed. I mean, there was just room (laughs) enough to get in the ring, and that was it. There's a story that goes with that that will come up later. So an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back home, Tuesday and Thursday nights, twice a week. So I go up for my first four practices two weeks in, and I've been four times. I went back the following Tuesday for my fifth time, and CW was already in the ring working with another kid that just started earlier. And he looked over at me as I was putting on my knee pads and stuff. And he said, you're going to keep coming, huh? It was on my fifth time. I said, yeah, I'm going to keep coming. Why? He said, okay. All right, I guess tonight we'll start teaching you how to wrestle. And I said, well, I've already been here four times. What have we been doing? And he said, man, I've just been beating you up for two hours to see if you'd quit. (laughs) I didn't know any better. I I, I didn't you know. I just didn't know. And so truly the first four times I went, he just punched and kicked me for a couple hours to see if I would stick with it or quit. And um, we don't really treat people like that getting in the wrestling business anymore. But again, it was a little, the business was a little different back in 1995. And, and that night, he started teaching me how to actually work. And I'm like, man, this is a whole lot easier than what we've been doing. <laughs> it's kind of a running for a while. But yeah, he's like, you're going know, to keep coming, huh? And I said, well, yeah, I guess I'm going to keep coming. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And he goes, all right. So that, that's my story. And, and listen, see at that point, CW had not been on TV, obviously, and, and started with ECW. All, that all came later. And CW trained me, and they had trained my, my wrestling partner as well. And the, uh, the two of us, my, my tag team partner and I, started rising up on the independent scene in North and South Carolina. So we one really cool story about my initial takeoff in wrestling in the mid-'90s in North Carolina, If you went to an independent wrestling show in North South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, that area, you would probably see a group of 12 guys. And it would be myself, C.W. Anderson, Steve Carino. Uh, There was a guy named Matt Hardy and a guy named Jeff Hardy and Shane Helms and Shannon Moore and Joey Abs. There was about 13 of us that all ended up, we all started around the same time we all ended up working on TV together and all getting contracts. It was a pretty cool story. that so many of us from such a small area kind of came out at one time and we all pushed each other to be better and go further. And we turned out a pretty handsome group there.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, most of those guys I I, uh, recognize being from Omega, right? Yeah. A lot of the Omega guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Um, What would you say, um, as far as CW is concerned, was the best advice that he ever gave you?
0: Huh. The best advice again. So, fast forward about a year and a half, I ended up going to the power plant to train with WCW. And once I got through the tryout, we can talk about that later if it comes up. But um, yeah. a couple of months later, I actually talked to CW Anderson and coming down and going through the tryout and going to the power plant because being back in North Carolina before we went to Atlanta and, and started doing things with WCW and WWE, CW. We all kind of had this thought that if we were good enough, somebody would see us and want us to come perform or work for them. And we were too young to know any better. And that just wasn't the case. You know, WCW, WB wasn't going out, sending guys to local independent shows to see who the main event was to bring them up. They didn't need any more guys. They were already
1: full.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, I was, I was only in Atlanta about three, four months before I started with Raven on TV. So um, that kind of, Convince CW that he needed to go through the same process I did. But to answer your question, one of the best pieces of advice he gave me that I beat in the head of every single student I have, which is paramount and number one: when you get in the ring with someone else, he's giving you his body, and you're giving him yours, and and there's a, a trust and an innate thing there. Be willing to go through, and we do some things that you are truly putting your ability to walk the rest of your life in the other person's hands. And so CW always taught me this one rule. He said, you you get hurt before you allow the other person to get hurt. So in other words, if something's going down, you protect him before you protect yourself. And if you're lucky enough to be in the ring with somebody who has that exact same mentality, you're probably going to be pretty good. If both (laughs) of you are taking care of that way. You know, things happen and we've had injuries and surgeries and, and uh, lots of things to list there. But that's, you know, most of those aren't because of somebody else's mistake. It's just a fact of physics and big guys moving at fast speeds. And you can't always control what goes down when a table breaks or a ladder falls.
1: Absolutely. Um, no, that's great. Um, I, I I just saw this past week that CW put up a very emotional video where he uh, announced his retirement from wrestling. And I watched it, and it kind of made me feel a little bit emotional seeing this guy who's obviously very upset about the situation. Um, If you could say anything to him uh, uh, as it pertains to this in his retirement, what would you say? Uh,
0: when I tell you CW and I are friends in and outside of wrestling, and we love and care for each other like real brothers. Um, it was a week ago Friday night he texted me and said, can we talk? And I said, sure. And, uh, we spent about an hour on the phone. He had already taped the video and had every plans of releasing it on Saturday afternoon. And CW and I have been friends since 1995. It's 2020. That's 25 years. You know, that's a, that's a long time to be friends. He and I have both um, seen each other through some ups and downs and some highs and lows. And, different relationships, but we both know, and this was a very personal conversation and I'm not sharing anything that anybody that knows us don't know, or that he would be upset with me uh, sharing. We both love wrestling. Uh, You can't do it as long as we have at the level we have and not love it. But at that same token, by loving it so much, it has cost us, Birthday parties, family get-togethers, holidays, relationships, left and right, and so we've both sacrificed a lot for this love. And a lot of times we jokingly refer to it as our mistress. It's, it's the one thing in life that we just can't walk away from. And I, I looked at him, and you know, and we were talking. I said, "C Dub," I said, uh, "Are you sure this this is what you want to do?" And I asked him multiple times. I said, "I, I know very few people that love this business." more than we do you and I and are you really sure this is it and he, he he told me four or five times over point blank he said I'm positive he said I thought it through and I'm I'm just I'm tired of the hurt and the pain that comes with it he said I've just even though I've had a good his last couple of years he got to do a lot of really cool stuff with a group here called AML and some other things and he got some of the recognition I think that he hadn't gotten before that he deserved and uh, he's just had a couple of nagging injuries and things he's like I just I want to be able to walk away on my own I don't want to have something happen where I can't walk away or I can't walk normally for the rest of my life. And he goes, it's time. And he said, I'm, I, I kept kind of harping on him. I'm like, are you sure? And, you know, hung up the phone like we always do. You know, I love you. I love you too. And he said, he was going to release the video sometime on Saturday and lo and behold, he put it up about 15 minutes after I got off the phone. So I, was like, I don't, I don't know if my talk actually fast forwarded that motion or not because I got off the phone and opened my social media, bam, there it was. I was like, "Well, my goodness, that, that's not what we just talked about." So I, I, I really, I, I tell you, you know, multiple times he told me, and I said, "Man, you got to be straight with me," and if you don't want to walk away but you're saying you do you can tell me the truth that's between you and I and every single time he said he was done so I'm still processing that myself um I watched the video and anytime CW's hurt and I hurt for him um I I love him no matter what whether he never wrestles again whether he takes five years off whether he comes back in five weeks I will love him forever regardless and um so I I I still have to process all that myself It's, it's only been a
1: week for me Absolutely. Well, I hope everything's all right with him and he's uh, happy with everything that he accomplished in wrestling because I certainly think uh, not many people can say that they were able to do what he did. Right, absolutely. Uh, Your early career, you formed a team called Dangerous Minds. I believe that's with your friend you've already mentioned. Uh, That's right. Curtis White. Curtis
0: White, yes. Yes. Um,
1: What are your fondest memories, memories of your early days in the business with your friend?
0: Oh. You know there there are so many because when he and I started training under CW and this happens so often, it's just a, a a story I've seen repeated over and over in wrestling. You start training with someone, and you either end up becoming each other's biggest rivals or you end up becoming tag partners. And so many times through our first year in the business, we would go. We, we realized early on. I think he and I probably could go further as a tag team than either one of us could individually because we were still so green. There weren't a whole lot of really well-known tag teams at that time on the independent scene in the South here in the United States. And so we, again, like I said, we formed Dangerous Minds. You nailed it. And, you know, we got matching gear. And so many times we get to a show, but see, uh, our goal was really never to, make it go to WCW when we first started, we we truly felt maybe we might possibly go to ECW or something. We did a lot of uh, extreme matches. That kind of stuff. CW was into that really early, you know, with uh the, uh, the hardcore matches and that kind of stuff. And so we kind of got sidetracked down a path of doing that. We would get booked for that. But so many times we would get to a town and promoter would call us in his office or wherever he was. He'd be like, hey, we had you guys set up to work with so-and-so. Um, they're not here tonight or they don't feel comfortable doing this or that. Could you guys end up working against each other? So Curtis and I ended up working each other a lot of times. So we either, we were either a tag together or we would wrestle each other. But it was funny, you know, we just, we made so many road trips together because back then we were wrestling every single weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. I had a personal training studio that I owned and had people to get covered for me when I wasn't there. So we really threw our heart and soul into If we could get a wrestling booking, we would take it, and we'd drive and go do it. And I can't tell you how much fun in hindsight some of that was. And and one story to add to all this that will bring some of this together, there was a group called NCW, which later became NWA Wildside down in Georgia, you may have heard of. Um, They used to run a show up in Silva, North Carolina, which is up in the mountains. Well, I'd grown East Carolina University, so we were down by the coast about a seven-hour drive to get to Silva, and that's where Western Carolina is, and they did a show once a month. It was like the third Thursday of every month, and it was a hardcore bar show. So Western Carolina was there, and at one of the bars, they would put a ring up in there, no barricades, and the kids from Western Carolina would come out, and they would be right up on the ring, you know, banging on the apron. There was no keeping them back. There was no distance. You had the ring and you had the college kids right around the ring. And it was a pretty cool environment because this was when ECW was kind of getting some of its popularity where the fans were bringing weapons to the matches and, you know, the wrestlers would pull something out of the fans' yeah. hands and they brought them, whatever, you know, whether it be a, you know, a Nintendo game or a hockey <laughs> stick or whatever it may be. And I was wrestling my buddy Kurt one night, and I will never forget, I had him in the corner, and the rugby team was, became renowned for bringing the most ridiculous weapons to the ring. And if they threw it in the ring, somehow, some way, you just had to use it. You know, you had to make it work. And, and so I, I will refer to Curtis White the rest of the time as Toad because that's what Raven renamed him later on. Right. It's hard for me to call him Curtis because I knew him for Toad, as Toad for so long. But I've got Toad down in the corner, and I'm kicking him, I'm beating him. And I look back, and um, I see that the rugby team – has thrown something in the ring, and I, and I turned to Toad, and I don't know how much lingo you know, but I'm like, hey, Toad, hey, how about a tackle drop-down? Uh, watch for the Volkswagen hood. They threw a <laughs> Volkswagen hood in the ring. An entire hood from a Volkswagen Beetle. And I'm like, so, of course, we have to do a drop-toe on the old Volkswagen Beetle hood, you know. And, and the, the only thing that topped that, it may have been the next show, the next month, or maybe two months later, same thing, down in the corner, beating him up again. I look back, hey, how about a little tackle drop down? Watch the canoe. Why <laughs> a canoe? There's a canoe in the ring, right? I mean, it's like you got to use this. And so last story about this show up in the mountains of Silva, seven hours from Greenville, Camden and Fayetteville where the Hardys were from. They were probably five and a half, six hours away themselves. Kurt and I, Toad and I had something going on. We had driven separately one night. We followed each other up. I had to get back. I had to work the next day. So I left, and as Toad was coming down the mountain, coming out of the mountains of North Carolina, start heading back, he sees the Hardys on the side of the road, car broken down. I think it was Matt and Jeff, uh, Marty Garner, who's Champagne, may have been with them, and Shane Helms may have been. There may have been five of them. But one of the guys, it was Shannon Moore. When we met Shannon Moore, when he first started wrestling, he was 16 years old. This was a couple of years later, but he might have been 17, 17 and a half. Toad pulled up and said, Hey guys, because he was driving a truck. They had five in the truck. He couldn't take everybody. So, what are you guys doing? So, oh, we called a tow truck. Our truck broke down. And Shannon Moore um, said, Toad, is there any way you can drive me to high school? Now, this, remember, we just did a <laughs> bar show. It just finished at like 11 30, 12 o'clock. He said, I can't miss another day of my first period of class where I failed my senior year. So Toad takes Shannon Moore and drives straight to high school for like a, a, an eight o'clock start the next morning.
1: <laughs>
0: if he, if he said that, that's our running joke that if he hadn't stopped or been there, Shannon Moore would have failed his senior year for a wrestling show. So, you know, you, you ask, you know, what were some of my favorite times? I mean, I could sit and talk for days about shows like that and things. CW coined a phrase years ago called OIW, and that means only in wrestling. It won't <laughs> Only in wrestling will you find some of these stories, you
1: know. I would just love to see those guys sneaking the canoe in as they're uh, entering the building. <laughs> yeah, it's the rugby
0: team. That, you know, they got used to it, so the guys are like, oh, we bring it to the wrestling. Yeah. So it's a whole a <laughs> canoe. You know, you just—it was a funny thing. You just never knew what was going to end up in there. And, and to make that whole story just a little bit crazier, seven hours round trip. You know, we'd go up and do the show, and I would drive back. We got paid ten bucks a piece.
1: Shit. Good. Good times, right? <laughs> 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 oh Jesus, seems so prevalent in some of these stories. Yeah,
0: but, but you take that and, and the talent that I just talked about. And then look at the money we all signed for when we started on TV. You know,
1: Absolutely. it's just you know that,
0: that, that's where yeah, people ask me that all the time. They're like, "How could you do that for ten bucks?" You know, we call ourselves, and this is an old phrase used in wrestling. We're ham and eggers back then because you just hope you make enough money buy ham and eggs at Waffle House, <laughs> and, and that's it. You know, but uh but it's funny when people are like, "Oh, I'd never do that," and I'm like, "Yeah, but if you don't do those ten dollar shows." With a fourteen-hour drive, you also don't sign the six-figure contract for Ted Turner at WCW. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know you go through those
1: pitfalls and those those down times to get up to the mountaintop. You know, absolutely. No one got anywhere by just you know doing nothing. They had to work for it. Um, <laughs> I want to know. Uh, I'm really interested in this one. How you first became friends with a guy like Raven? <sighs>
0: You know, as I said earlier about us wanting to maybe go to ECW, I was never a fan of Ravens early on. Right. I was not. I didn't watch enough of ECW to catch up with his storyline. And I, I remember him as Scotty the Body from years ago, but yeah. didn't know much about his work. I Actually, I was at the power plant Atlanta, and um, the guys down at the, at the power plant, we went to school every day at 10 o'clock. We worked hard till lunch. When I say worked hard, you know, wrestling and putting some good work in until 12 30, 1 o'clock, took a break for lunch. A lot of the older guys wouldn't come back in the afternoons. But some of the younger guys, the guys who are more dedicated disciplined, would come back. We went out almost every night of the week. Uh, the club scene in Atlanta in the, in the mid 90s was ridiculous. And if you're a professional wrestler, or in school at the power plant to become a professional wrestler, you kind of carried rock star status wherever you went. It's it was ridiculous how, how much prestige I would say came with just being somebody from the power plant. It was kind of silly, but I was out one night with a, a dear friend who passed away about a year ago. Johnny Green, the wrestler Johnny Attitude with WCW for years. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, he, um, he 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 befriended me at the power plant and and opened his home, opened his arms, and and really worked with me. And we just went out of his way to be super nice. And I and I always cared about him, and we always ma- maintained a really good friendship even through the years and the distance away. He took me out one night, and this was r- right about the time I'd been at the power plant for a month or two, and Raven had just come in to WCW from ECW he'd been living in Philly he just moved to Atlanta and we were out at a bar and Johnny saw Raven across the bar by himself and Johnny's like hey let's go say hello to Raven you know there there are some things in wrestling you do and you don't do I'm like Johnny I don't know him I don't want to go over there and just bother him. Johnny's like well I know him I'm like great then you go say hello to him but I'm gonna sit here <laughs> and Johnny's like sure I'm like I'm like I, I don't want to impose I don't know the guy I don't want to go get off all his grill he's, he's by himself I didn't know yeah. if it was because he wanted to be here, if he just was. So Johnny goes over and leaves me. And Johnny comes back like 10 minutes later. He's like, hey, Raven wants to meet you. Raven wants to meet me. Why does Raven want to meet me? He said, well, I told him about, you know, being a competitive bodybuilder and a personal trainer and stuff. And we we're actually talking. He just asked me if I knew any good personal trainers. And I know you just sold your gym. Would you go talk to him? So I'm like, all right, sure. So I saunter over and uh, Raven starts grilling me. You know, I've never met the guy before, and he starts asking me all these questions about personal training and bodybuilding, and who I've trained and what I've done and what I think and blah, 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 blah. And he just pepper me with these questions, and I'm, I'm answering, but I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, you know, it's like a job interview. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, this isn't really what I want to do in my night. And all of a sudden, like this string of questions, Raven just stops, and all of a sudden he's like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> hired for what? And he goes, I want you to be a personal trainer. And I'm like, Oh, he said, yeah, he, here's my address and my phone number. He said, writes it down, you know, on a piece of paper. He's like, here, uh, call me tomorrow and I'll meet you at the gym, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, let's have a shot of Jack together. And at the time I wasn't drinking. he's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. He's like, no, we we'll have a shot of Jack. I'm like, yeah, I'm really good. He goes, no, we we'll have a shot of Jack. So like, okay, we'll have a shot of Jack. You know, so I both do a shot. And the next day I started training him and, uh, I probably trained Raven in the gym for about two and a half, maybe three weeks. And um, his drinking and eating habits were not the best. And I don't know what you know about bodybuilding and working out and lifting, but you can do all you want in the gym correctly. But if the other 23 hours of the day are spent drinking and eating bad food, it's not really going to make a difference. (laughs) um, But about two and a half, three weeks in, he goes, eh, because he was doing the, the TV shows at the time. He had Nitro, but they did house shows on the weekends. So Nitro was always Monday, and he was going to be gone over the weekends. He said, hey, would you mind while I'm gone? He said, how about if I pay you? I'd uh, be my personal assistant. And I'm like, well, what does that entail? You know, he's like, well, I'm out of town. You'll just pick up my dry clean, check my mail. Just run errands for me when I'm in town. You know, if I need you to drive me around, we'll hang out, whatever. And I'll give you 300 bucks a week. I just sold my gym. I was wrestling on the weekend, so I was gone Friday, Saturday, my, myself doing my independent shows. And I'm like, by this time, I started to learn a little bit about the hierarchy of, you know, wrestling and who you know and that kind of thing. I'm like, 300 bucks a week? All right, yeah, I can't be that bad a gig. Well, boy, was I ever wrong. But yeah, <laughs> I, I became Raven's personal assistant. So the funny thing about the, the, the relationship we carried out on TV, which was great <laughs> for TV, was so much of our relationship in real life. You know, I was his personal assistant for, for quite a while. Personal assistant came to, you know, I went from just training with the gym to going to waking him up every day at 11 o'clock and cooking his breakfast for him and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, again, we'll talk about this later. I can talk about it now. Raven, uh, Raven did more for me in this business of wrestling than any other one individual ever did in, in more ways than one over and over and over again. And so, you know, for the ribbing and the and the stuff, some of the guys gave me a hard time about cooking Raven's breakfast. <laughs> a, a, I was getting paid, but B, you know, he took it. He took up for me and did so much for me later on that I truly could have never ever paid back for all the stuff he did. He he will always be the guy that helped me and got me further and did more for me than anybody else.
1: Excellent. I've I've seen a lot of Raven interviews over the years, and just you saying. Him going, okay, you're hired. That sounds so like him, like now suddenly you've been accepted for a job that you didn't even know you were applying for. <laughs> didn't even know, you know, and I'm sure before he said it, he was probably like,
0: eh, you're hired.
1: <laughs> you know, that, that is so him. Yeah. Um. So uh, through this time, you know, being close with him like that, uh, were you already... Going towards being in the power plant at that point, or did he help you get towards that? How how did that no, process I move was, along?
0: I was already I was already in Atlanta. I already been at the power plant for a couple of months. You
1: already been there, I okay. uh,
0: And back then, and you can pull all this up on YouTube, but the the power plant tryouts were legendary for being absolutely insane.
1: Yeah, and there awesome
0: there because they out there with Buddy Lee Parker and all those guys, and I'm actually in a couple of them but you wouldn't recognize me because I had long, dark hair and a ponytail. Um, yeah, funny thing. I went down there with the long hair and I ended up on TV with short blonde hair, (laughs) but our tryout was three days long. Right. And we had, we had 27 guys start on Wednesday. And by Friday morning, there were three of us left. And one guy was six, five. They said, Hey, congratulations. You made it through pay your $5,000 and you come to school here. Uh, Brad, you, know, you made it through, congratulations, You know, pay your $5,000. I am still living in North Carolina. I just came down from the tryout to Atlanta. But the third guy who made it through was about 5'8". And I felt so sorry for him. This is one of those things where one of those times you just realize wrestling's not a fair business. Again, 24 guys that quit, I mean, just dropped out, fell out, thrown up, got sick, whatever. They look at this third guy that made it, and they're like, hey, congratulations, you made it through the tryout yeah, you're really too short. We can't use you. Oh, man. (laughs) And the kid was like, well, do I get my money back or like, Nah, congratulations. And I was like, (sighs) you know, they didn't tell him up front, but they they let him crush himself for three days and sit him pack and never saw that kid again. You know, I was hoping at some point it'd be a great comeback story that he made it some other way. But, you know, I went home back to Carolinas and, Packed my bags and got my gym covered for a while, and I moved back. I moved to Atlanta the following week. You know, I was like, I made it. I'm gonna go do this, and so I was already in Atlanta. And before I started on TV with the Flock, I actually worked down in Orlando. We used to do the WCW pro tapings down there every three months. We'd go down and tape our Saturday morning show three months of it at a time, and I'd actually graduated the point from the power plant. We had to go down and do some enhancement matches, and so I had actually done some work with WCW right before Raven pulled the old plug and called Terry Taylor and wanted to know if I could join the flock,
1: and that worked out real well. Awesome, man. Um, I wanted to ask more about the power plant. I've, I've had some <laughs> an inside scoop from Alan Funk and his experience, but I'd like to know what your yeah. day-to-day experience was like before you made it onto TV uh, as you're training at the power plant. Now, see, Alan came along
0: probably – Maybe eight months to a year after I'd gone through it, it had started to change something, and, and they actually moved locations.
1: Right. So um, you am still in the shithole before it I was still this. in the
0: old place, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was never in the new Shining Place. <laughs> um, but I, I know Alan came through before they moved, um, but I don't yeah. know if he started TV before they moved. So, you know, Sarge was tough. I mean, you've heard those stories about him at, yeah. at the try but a guy with a heart of gold who would do everything he could to help you learn the wrestling business. And I have nothing but respect for him. And, and one of my greatest uh, pleasures down there was having Pistol Pez Watley, who was one of the coaches who really helped me with my psychology and really became a closer friend. He was a guy when I said I was a kid and grew up watching uh, the NWA, Mid-Atlantic shows in the Carolinas before it became WCW. He was one of their stars. And so again, my, my story in my life is sprinkled with all the guys I grew up watching when I was seven, eight, all through high school. As an adult, I became friends with all of them or wrestled all of them. And so you talk about living a fantasy camp or a fantasy life or a blessed life that just, you know, I did nothing to deserve. It was just God's favor who said, because yeah, he had a different plan of what he was going to do with me, I know, but the whole thing of those guys that I so looked up to as a kid, like I said, becoming their friends, um, wrestling those guys, and end up training a lot of kids, uh, of their kids. You know, right. I trained Rick, I, I helped train Ashley. She started with me, Flair wow. before she went to Florida. Um, I worked with Reed Flair a lot before he passed away. And um, I've actually got another horseman training with me now, his son, but that's a big secret nobody knows about. So that will come out soon enough.
1: Excellent, man. Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask more about Buddy Lee Parker because uh, he he seems like a real tough guy to get the approval of and for him to, you know, go from being a drill sergeant towards you to being like, okay, you know what, you're all right. Like, what are your memories of of that and and, and the moment where you might feel like, okay, Sarge has, has given me his approval? You know, you, 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 you
0: from Funk and some other guys and your research, I guess you, you've you learned, you pretty much nailed Sarge with that. Yeah. It's like, you know, you had to earn his respect. And, and you did that by showing up every day, working your butt off and getting better, and basically listening to what he was teaching you and telling you and taking it to heart. You know, the guys who put forth the most effort, I think they won Sarge's approval more so than – Um, You know, some of the guys phoned it in. I'm not going to throw any rocks or or name any names, but there were people when I was in the power plant, I was not one of them, that were already under contract. They were getting paid just to go to wrestling school. Right. And there were a couple of guys who worked out a deal because they had, uh, you know, threatened to go to WWE or gotten a, a developmental deal offered to them from WWE and Eric Bischoff paid them more money. To just stay and continue to right there. And so, you know, if you got some young kids who are getting paid an outrageous sum of money just to go to wrestling school and they're not wrestling on the weekends or got any uh, – I don't know if the moral compass was totally off or, or no guidance. You know, in Atlanta at that time, like I said, with the club scene and the drugs and everything else that was out there, it was real easy to get
1: sidetracked
0: and end up going the wrong way. And uh, that that happened to a lot of people.
1: Right. So. Um, so you go through this process in the power plant. When do you get the call that you're getting brought up to television? Crazy story. Um, sitting with Raven,
0: where he lived when he first moved to Atlanta, was it was not even a quarter of a block to the nearest strip club. He truly could walk through – behind the town home and walk through to this strip club that he would occasionally go to. And we were sitting there one night and he was getting mad at me. And we were having a discussion that when he was home on the weekends and he wasn't doing house shows, he was upset that I was wrestling every Friday and Saturday night doing independent shows. And I wasn't around to hang out with him. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I got to work, you know? I mean, I, I, I guess that, that's what indie shows are, right? And, he said, yeah. He said, you know what? It will be a whole lot better if you are just on the road with me. And this is like 1130 or 12 o'clock on a Thursday night. And I'm like, well, yeah, it would be a lot better if I was on the road with yeah. you. That would be great. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, yeah, you know, I would have to obviously be in the flock or something. And so he said, hold on a second. So we're in a club, and he, and he pulls out his cell phone, and he calls Terry Taylor, who was booking for WCW at the time, especially the mid-card and downtown. This is a Thursday night around midnight in a strip club, and he can, you can tell he can't hear Terry well and Terry can't hear him. He's like, hey, you know Brad came down at the power plant? Yeah. He said, how about if I put him in the flock on Monday night in Nitro? Oh, Saturday. Saturday's Detroit. The pay-per-view on Sunday? Okay. He gets off the phone. He's like, hey, buy yourself a ticket to the pay-per-view. You're starting Sunday. <laughs> what? He said, yeah, you're, you're starting to flock at pay-per-view on Sunday. I thought you'd start on Monday at Nitro, but they want you to start on Sunday, so you need to buy a ticket. They'll pay you back. Don't worry about it. I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, no, trust me. They'll pay you back. I'm like, so we're sitting there, like I said, 12 o'clock on a Thursday night, getting ready to roll into Friday morning, and he wants to be buy a ticket to fly out Saturday morning. So yeah. we're looking at little 24 hours, and he's looking at me, you know, and I've got my, my – I." Well, this time, I cut my hair, but it was still dark. And he's like, eh, you don't really like a star. We need, we need to change you up. He <laughs> said, let's turn you into Billy Idol. He said, I want you to go get your hair dyed tomorrow, get it blonde, go downtown Atlanta at Five Points and get you some black leather pants, get you some boots, get you a glove, get you some chains, do the sneer, the whole thing. And we'll, we'll go to Detroit this weekend, do the pay per view. So I had like 24 hours to get all this done. And with the family, but, but if you go back to the pay-per-view, you know, where he wrestled Riggs, that's the night I started at the Palace at Auburn Hills back in October of 97. So uh, crazy story as it is, that's, that's how it started. It was one phone call, and tell, Terry knew me from the power plant, and I had impressed him enough to, for him to say, yeah, well, we'll let you come on. I mean, obviously, if I'd been a total doofus, he probably would have told Rayden I couldn't do it. But it worked out pretty well for me, and the rest is
1: kind of history. I thought so. And I thought Billy Idol's name might show up. That's why I'm wearing my Billy Idol shirt here tonight. I like it.
0: (laughs) I saw that. I like it. Perfect.
1: Um, (laughs) Uh, So you're debuting at World War III uh, under the name Lodi. Obviously Lodi is backwards for Idol.
0: Actually, I didn't have a name.
1: Right. I didn't
0: have a name the first couple of months on TV. They just called that guy. Right, right, right. Raven got in a fight with uh, Eric Bischoff over my name. Uh, that story's been told multiple times, and it doesn't really need to be told again. But Raven wanted me to be called Skank, and Bischoff said absolutely not. Um, he used some colorful language to shoot that down, but he wasn't going to allow that. Um, we truly got all the way up to my December 8th was my debut match on Nitro against Chris Benoit. Yeah. And for that night, we came up with, you know, because the thing was, they took pictures of me and my gimmick, right? And Billy Idol has a copyright on that name and that look. And the WCW lawyers were like, if you copy more than 76 or 78% of his look, you can't call yourself Idol. It was copyright infringement, blah, blah, blah. They're like, you're 100%. There's no, We can't do it. And I'm like, well, you know, we're talking about what if we turn it around backwards? And so that's where Lodi came from. The first time I got called Lodi on TV was my was my match against Benoit.
1: Right, cool. Um, and yeah. I, I have seen that match, and I don't think it lasted too long. But, uh, uh, you know. It
0: did. You know, I'm going
1: to tell you what. Here was the, that, that's, that, there's a really great
0: story behind that that um, I, I've told and told and told, but i got to throw bits and pieces of it at you again. Sure. At the time, Raven was sick in the hospital with pancreatitis. He almost died. He was in the hospital for 11 days. On TV, to cover for him being gone, they set up an angle where Chris Benoit had to beat everybody in the flock to get his hands on Raven. Right. Yeah. So I knew a week in advance. I We were in Tennessee the week before. I think we were in Nashville and Sig had wrestled Benoit. And after the show, uh, Terry Taylor said, Lodi, you got Benoit next Monday. So I knew a week in advance that I had to wrestle Benoit. I had not had a match on TV yet. But I was getting a lot of heat sitting in the crowd with the signs and stuff. I was very well-hated. And so I got home, and by this time, my old taxi partner, Curtis White Toad, had moved down to Atlanta, and he was my roommate. And he said, you know, you've got Benoit next week. Obviously, he's going to call the match and lay it out for you and tell you what you're going to do. He said, but, you know, here's what – if you had a chance to lay it out, it'd be ideal, like when you climb over the rail, you go up there, have Benoit knock you off and chop you all around the ring. He laid out this whole – match for me basically got down to the end he goes you know you know Benoit's going over at that time Benoit was using three three different finishes he would finish with a headbutt he had finished with a cross face, or he finished with a superplex sometimes and, and Toad was like hey you know how crazy would it be if he hit you with all three of them you know before, <laughs> before because he before he gets says he never hits all three of them and so by this time I developed a relationship with Benoit because you know we did run-ins every night so that Monday at Nitro, we get to the building at 2 o'clock, and I know I've got to wrestle them one. I see Chris in catering around 2.30. So I'm like, hey, Chris, hey, whenever you want to get together and go over our match, just let me know, and I'll be available. He goes, okay, we'll talk about it later. The afternoon goes on. It's 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I haven't talked to Chris yet. And I go find him. I'm like, hey, Chris, you know, we're live at 8 o'clock. Hey, do you want to talk about our match tonight? He looks at his watch. He's like, ah, hey, loaded. we we'll get together later. Just no, no big deal. And now it's 6.30, quarter to seven, right? And we still haven't talked. Now, our match was set to go on at the end of the first hour, so roughly around 8.55, 8.50. And if you remember back then, if you've seen a lot of the stuff, sometimes the flock would walk down once the show started. Sometimes we would start the beginning of the show sitting in the front row. And so it's like 7.20, 7.30. And I grabbed Raven. and I'm like, hey, are we going out late tonight or are we going out before the show starts and get our seats? He said, hey, let's go out. And get our, I mean, sorry, Raven wasn't there. It was uh, Riggs and Saturn. Saturn was in charge. He said, are we walking out later or whatever? He said, I got an idea. Let's go out early so we already be out there. For them, that meant more TV time. So it's 7.30. I'm like, when are we going out? And he goes, 7.45. I haven't talked to Ben. Why yet? My first live Nitro match at WCW, and I got no idea what I'm doing.
1: Right, yeah. And now
0: now I start looking for Chris, and I can't find him. He's nowhere to be found. And I'm dressed. I'm already in my gear and everything because we're going out before 8 o'clock. So we would climb over the rail. We wouldn't come back to the back for my match. I find Chris at like 7.42, and he's got a cup. He always had a cup of coffee in his hand. He's wearing his trench coat. He walked through this curtain backstage. I'm like, Chris. And he looks at me. He's like, what, Lodi? You're like <laughs> a good buggy ball day, right? And I'm like, Chris, I don't, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. It's 745 almost. We're walking out at 745 before the show starts. Can we, what do you want to do tonight? He looked at me. He rolled his eyes. He said, Lodi, what would you like to do? <laughs> it worked. <laughs> and I paused for a second. And I'm like, you know, because again, Toad and I had planned this whole thing out. So I looked at him and I said, how about, could we possibly, I'm being as nice as I can be, I'm like, what about if we do this and this and this and this? I lay the whole thing out for him. He looks at me and goes, see you out there. Turn around and walked off. <laughs> that match went exactly to a tee the way we laid it out. When we got back in the ring after one of his elbows, I was supposed to cut him off, get some heat on him, and then we went to the finish. What happened was our show was running long. We ran into the 9 o'clock hour. Raw was starting. Right. Referee leaned in Chris, we, we got to go home now. And Chris grabbed me and set me up for the superplex. He goes, Lodi, I'm sorry. We got to go home now. And the thing was for me, I knew the fans were eating it up when I was totally – because we wanted Chris to beat me up. And so he hit me with a superplex, a diamond headbutt, crossface. You know, it was over. Um, walked back through the curtain, and Arn Anderson grabbed me, pulled me to the side real quick. Because they cut my heat out. I mean, it's just a straight job. If you go watch it, don't know yeah. what was set up and what happened. And Arn's like, Lodi, please don't be upset about that. Look, I can put you over on Hulk Hogan next week for me, two, and you're a superstar. I'm like, Arn, I just wrestled my first match live on Nitro, Chris Benoit, and the fans ate it up brother, I'm good, and he's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, no, I'm freaking happy, and he's like, all right, if you're good, we're good, and um, Raven buzzed me right for that. He was in the hospital watching. It. He goes, I didn't know you could sell like that. That was freaking awesome, so you know, I I, I know it was good for my character, and what we needed to do, and um, so it had a lot of good things to it.
1: That's amazing. I, I had no idea about that story, and it's funny to think like you just say his debut match was on Nitro and it lasted a minute or so. Um, probably won't be much of a story about that. We'll move on to the next thing when I'm writing my questions. Little do I know yeah. that there's this amazing story behind just this short match. But you go back to and
0: what makes the most amazing thing is, in my mind, I had talked about it with my tag team partner for a week. But I told Benoit once. The entire match in order. He heard it once and came out and did the whole match in order from appearing at one time. The, one of the most professional, the best I've ever been in the ring with by far. Just phenomenal.
1: Wow. By far. Um, I, I, another thing I wanted to ask you was, I, I believe Stevie Richards had left the flock by the he time did. you came in. So right. would you feel like you were coming in to take like that spot in the flock, the, the main kind of lackey for Raven?
0: Absolutely. It it, it was very much that. That was my spot.
1: Yes. So you must've been fucking excited. like.
0: You know, I personally, um, I, for whatever reason, I I was always able to, and again, go back to being trained by guys who knew what they were doing. Listen, and especially at this point in my life, I have had the opportunity to listen to some of the best ever do this business. And, and so the knowledge that I've been given, that I repeat and pair it out, it's coming from Raven, it's coming from Jake the Snake Roberts, it's coming from DDP, it's coming from Dusty Rhodes. You know, I ran Dusty roads Wrestling Company Atlanta for a year and a half at Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling, and set in Dreams' office every day, five days a week. You can't pay for that type of education, you know. And so that's why to be around those guys and have them share the knowledge they did. But even at that early stage, and I've been around Raven long enough to know, and it, I, I screwed it up some, but everything Raven ever told me to do on TV got me over as a heel, way bigger than I ever thought it would from just hearing it. And there were times we would butt heads and I would argue with him about stuff, but I, I, I've i told him this a gazillion times, but people knew how we used to argue. Um, we didn't realize until after about six or seven months of knowing each other, we used to fight all the time. And as we started talking to our mutual friends about it, everybody would be like, you guys fight because you're like you're just carbon copies of each other. You're too much alike. Turns out, I was telling Raven, he need to get me a birthday present. And my birthday was coming up. And he's like, you give me a birthday present. My birthday's coming up. <laughs> We both share the same birthday. <laughs> we're, both, we're both born on September the 8th. So um, there's you know, I, ne- I never gave a whole lot of credence to astrological signs and stuff like that until Raven and I. But, yeah, there's something to that thing for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I want to – these next three questions are, are more about uh, partying, uh, what's going on after the show. Um, now that you're on television, you're telling me about how you're – almost seen like a rock star just being at a, at the power plant. Now that you're on television, how easy was it to pick up women after the shows? (laughs) Uh, um, Ridiculously easy
0: because I, I think, you know, Disco Inferno made a comment the other day on Twitter about this with all of the, sexual assault charges and complaints and things that are coming out now, especially with independent workers and trainers. And, and you know, where that is. Um, some of the guys made some comments about Glenn, you're kind of quiet on this. Are you, are you, are you worried about being next? And he's like, no, because I came from an era where we were men and the women threw themselves at us. We never even had to think about pressuring somebody. Absolutely. And he said, and today he said, "I, I think this was Glenn's comment. Um, we have these, Soccer-playing video game nerds who got into the wrestling business and don't know how to talk to women. <laughs> so it's a big change, but you know, there. I told this story last week when somebody asked me a similar question. Um, I remember hanging out with Scott Hall, and, and you know, Scott Hall is one of the greatest wrestlers and greatest minds of all time. And we started spending some more time together, and I truly thought it was because Scott liked me, and, and I think deep down he did. But one day he told me, he said, we're getting ready to go up to the bar. And I'm like, you must like me that want to hang out with me. He goes, Lodi, the only reason I hang out with you in a bar, he said, your rap game is so lame, you make me look strong. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, dude, he said, girls walk up to you and you're like, you have pretty eyes. It's like, who says that? He says, how do you, you know, that, that was the ongoing joke. They're like, how did you ever get a girl back to your room and and you're never alone? It's like, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, You know, Raven (laughs) told me early on uh, he said, listen, he said, you're not that good looking of a guy. You're just not. He said, but people, when you're a TV star, people are attracted to that. People think you make a lot of money. And, you know, later on I started playing off Ravens um, telling me that, I mean, I would even ask the girls like, you know, we're hanging out and I'm like, you know, I got the big, Black sideburns and the spiky blonde hair. I'm not somebody you're taking home to mom. You know, I'm wearing leather pants in public. You know, and I got chains and earrings and piercings. And, and some of the girls would be like, "No, you're so handsome and you're so cute." I'm like, "Really? Look at this. Tell me two years ago somebody could have showed you a picture of this and you would have said, that's what I want to go home with.' You're lying. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that good body. Like, you yeah, whatever. But it, it it was that whole. TV persona, rock and roll lifestyle type thing, and, you know, I have talked and talked and talked and interviewed and stuff in the past, and the, the drugs and the alcohol and stuff was totally beyond even what I could have comprehended before I got there, you know, being in the military going through college, um, knowing some famous people, I, I thought I had seen some um, excess in my life, and it was nothing like what it became a WCW for a while,
1: right? Especially if you're parting with the flock. Um, I, I want to know. <laughs> I've 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 already heard many stories, especially with one I think with Kidman having a uh, dildo strapped around his head. Uh, I think it's called the Rhino. Um, but <laughs> do you have any crazy stories of being back at the hotel after the show with the flock? Uh,
0: there are a lot of them, and see that that story about the Rhino. That they get twisted. <laughs> They get twisted. That that wasn't really Kim, but it was Raven.
1: Um, oh, really? Oh, wow.
0: If you, if you go back and, and watch the signs, you'll have to find it. There, there's a sign I carried on TV one night that said, Autumn. I'm pretty sure that was her stage name. Loves the Black Rhino.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember it. I remember
0: it. Okay, there you go, <laughs> you know. So, I, I think there was there was a bet between Raven and Miss Autumn. That if I got that on TV, I think she had to walk two blocks in Buckhead without her shirt on or something. I don't remember. Something crazy <laughs> like that. You know, the the, the, the debauchery and the, the stories. You know, the, the, the sad part of so much of that is we um, can't talk about the excess without also touching on how many people died mm. from overdoses <laughs> and suicide and heart attacks. And so, you know... Um, August 23rd of this year will be 11 years since I've had a drink and I, I've been sober for going on 11 years now. And that, that's from alcohol. And I've been off the drugs and pills and everything else longer than that. And, and I know um, the main reason I truly believe in my heart that I didn't die back then, you know, I, I've told the story before. I mean, have you ever heard the story about the Deadpool list?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think Perry Saturn had mentioned it once. Yeah. See, everybody knew about the Deadpool list It's one of those
0: things where, you know, it it was kind of a joking thing, but it was like, who are going to be the next five guys to die? And if you're on the list for a while, for some reason, you fell off the list, you you took it personal. You're like, Hey, I'll show you, you know, it's like, (laughs) and and that was a very real thing. And in hindsight, Looking back at that, in a sober mind, that's kind of warped that we were, you know, picking the next five guys to die and you're mad if you were on the list. Yeah. You know, that, that I mean, seriously, that that that's just how far out of control it got. And I can't tell you how many funerals we went to, high as kites, and, and blaming the guy's death on him being a bad drug addict. Like, oh, if he only knew how to take his drugs better, he wouldn't be dead. Yeah. You know, and we, and so we justified so much of it. And so in many ways, you know, my ministry and things I've done over the last 12, 15 years of my life, of I feel like one of the reasons I was allowed to live was to hopefully save some of the young kids that I trade now and come across. If I can keep one of them from making my mistakes and going down that path, it was more than worth it for what all I went through. Because it, it, it was, when we talk about the fun stuff and the girls and the party and things that were good, um, the rehab and the getting sober and being sick and throwing up and having the shakes and being hot and cold for weeks on end and being absolutely miserable that's not something I wish on anybody. It's just not it, it, i wouldn't I wouldn't wish
1: that on my worst enemy it was It was a pure hell on earth to get out of and get through I can imagine and uh hey, when you're talking about the deadpool list and stuff like that you, you you're looking back now, you would think geez, if these people are on this list, then maybe we should talk to them and see if they're okay, and maybe they need help, like someone like a Louis Spicoli and things like that. Um, I, actually, I actually roomed with Spicoli one night,
0: about two weeks before he died, Really? and I did. We, You know, typically, Raven and Perry Satter and I would always share a room, Kidman and Disco and Alex Wright, what I was, you had, you had certain partners that you'd room and ride with together, uh, Sigboy and I share we would ride together a lot, but I'll never forget, we got to a hotel one night, and for some reason, Raven and Saturday got their own room, and didn't get a, 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 an extra bed or pull out for me, or whatever, and so I was, I was getting my own room, and Spicola was in line behind me, and he goes, hey, Lodi, I don't have my room with, you want, you want to share a room together, I'm like, sure, just help, help with the cost, you know, it's not like we're spending a lot of time in the room. We get back from the show. It's 1130, 12. We'll get up at five o'clock. We'll catch a flight. It's basically a couple of hours and a place to shower. But we were there for two nights for some reason. Maybe we had a TV and something back to back. But I had not really known Spicoli that well before that. Just, you know, from work, hey, how are you? And the first night was really cool. Um, he talked about wanting to be sober and, and wanting to have a problem with pills because he had, had a couple of issues already. And – you know, I, I, I was fond of him. We, we we got along great. And the next night was our last night together before we flew out. And I woke up at like two o'clock in the morning and spicoli was on the floor throwing up. He'd taken a whole bottle of somas. Sure. And the room smelled so bad we had to sleep with the door open and he was so out of it. And, and you know, he, he apologized the next week at T V and everything and, and it was a week or two later and he was gone. So you know, it, it, it was hard when so many of the guys were going through that, like you say, you know, why didn't we get help or should we try to get help for somebody? You had so many guys doing that. It was just like you didn't know who was going to fall next. Mm. You know, and so and, I, and again, I think the majority of those obviously were accidental. I don't think the majority of those while we were still working on TV were set out to be suicide, maybe after somebody lost a job and lost a career. Some of those possibly, but while we were still on TV and making big money, I don't think anybody was wanting to check out on purpose.
1: Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, take this point to uh, run through each member of the flock and, um, I guess, how you feel about them as people or uh, kind of like a word association or if you've got a story about that person. Uh, There are a few members to get through. Um, So, first of all, Van Hammer. Ah, Van Hammer. Um,
0: I got to start with the most recent incident. I'm sure you saw his issue, with the, uh, the law down in Florida.
1: Yeah. It was, it's like the first time I've heard anything about him in, I don't know how many years.
0: Yeah.
1: He looked really bad in
0: court. When I say bad, uh, Raven, and I discussed this. He's still a huge man. He's still a big guy. And Raven said, he just looks like a sad giant. And he really did. And, um, Mark uh, helped me a lot when we were first on the road. And he would come down to the power plant sometimes uh, when we were in Atlanta, resting near Atlanta, and and work with me. Um, We had a couple of matches together, and he always, for someone who was as big as him, he always allowed me to do things most guys his size would not. He was the first person to teach me how to do a Frankensteiner, and he let me do it to him on multiple occasions on TV. Uh, I knew one of our July 4th, July 5th shows. In Atlanta, I think Lenny and I were together, he let me do it. I did it on a Saturday night taping with him. And So, when somebody's 6'8", they let you do a Frankensteiner, you know, it's pretty cool when you're my size. And um, uh, he always had a bit of an issue with substances. And just I, it seems like even at, at, at this age now, he's, he's still having his demons that he can't beat. And
1: that makes me sad. I have not talked to him probably in 15 years. Right. I hope things uh, turn out better for him. Um, yeah. Next up, uh, Sick Boy. Sick Boy is uh,
0: amazingly still looks like he did when he was in the flock. He, he hasn't aged. Um, <laughs> I, I he he does not wrestle anymore unless I call him to do a tag match with me. He he and I tag together a couple times a year, and outside of that, he doesn't get in the ring. It's pretty amazing. I don't know many people that can stay away from the ring like he can and just walk back in and pick up and, and do a match. And I think people forget how big Sig he is. It's funny when he shows up to independent shows these days, the independent guys in North Carolina and this area in the south and the now are much smaller. You know, when I was on TV, I was one of the shorter guys. And it's funny, when I walk into a locker room now, I almost feel tall. Yeah. So it's kind of strange that the guys, you know, the, the, the talent has gotten a little smaller. You know. Sigboy's every bit of six five six six, he comes in today and just towers over everyone. He looks like a monster. Um, strange story that just happens to come up. I will see him on July eighth. We are doing a uh, pay-per-view taping for Luke Gallows down oh, in Georgia. That the flock is going to be a part of. Really, and I don't know who all is going to be there. I talked to Luke a couple of times. It's going to air on Fight TV and the Pay-Per-View Network later on. But the flock that's making the appearance, I think um, Sick Boy and I, I got a text from Reese the other day. Reese is going to be there. Really? (laughs) I'm sure Ravens will be there. And I think they were inviting Stevie. So Stevie may be there as well.
1: Awesome. Well, actually, at one point I was going to ask if, you know, when was the last time all the flock was together? But it was probably WCW, right?
0: We've had a couple of reunion shows since then. Um, where five six of us were brought into an autograph signing, um, we did a couple shows together where Raven and Riggs and Sigboy and I all got together and did like a an eight man tag. Right.
1: Um,
0: we like said Reese and I were together at a show here in Charlotte last August, and um,
1: but for all of us to be together, it's been a while. Um, the next person I'll ask about is uh, Scotty Riggs. Oh,
0: Riggsie. I talked to Riggs about two weeks ago. Riggs is uh, – he's out of the wrestling business totally now. had some issues with shoulder and health issues. And uh, he and I text. He's a big Dallas Cowboy fan. So, through football season, I'm a Cowboy fan. We stay in touch and and, and text about our lowly Cowboys, how they're screwing up another year. And um, I still talk to him probably once a month through text. and Every once in a while we'll have a phone conversation.
1: Um. And uh, Saturn, it's the next one I wanted to ask about because I feel concerned about him because I haven't seen anything publicly from him since I think last August. He comes and goes. He falls off the radar
0: every once in a while. And I do know I have not talked to him probably in about a year myself. And health-wise, he was not doing good. You, I'm sure you know the last time. And that whole thing with the health issues he's had and stuff, it, it, it's been hard to watch that because he had – such a good run, not only WCW, but I thought he had a, a pretty good run for Vince there for a while. And, um, and I mean, that didn't end the best. But um, it was sad to see him kind of fall off the face of the earth there for a while. Just get out of the wrestling business and not be uh, around whatsoever. I mean, there was a couple of years there no one could find him. So.
1: Do you have any, uh, like, what was a fond memory of uh, Perry Sutton? So we can at least talk about something positive yeah. about him.
0: Yeah, well, you know, um, w- one of the best things about Saturn, you know, there was a bit of an animosity inside the flock over how well the Lodi character got over for doing so little. Yeah. And so, you know, Saturn had been wrestling for 15, 16 years before he came to WCW. Riggs had been, you know, wrestling for a long time. Um. My character was very, like I said, we said before, well-hated. When we would come out from the back or come to the ring, you know, there were eight, nine of us at the time. A lot of times, the whole arena would just start chanting, "Lodi sucks, Lodi sucks. I mean, the (laughs) whole place. And so while that was great for me, you know, Saturn and, and Riggs, because they knew I was the one drawing that kind of heat. And I think part of it was I go back to, and Kidman became a big star out of that. But Kidman and I also, Raven had a character for everyone in the flock that he drew out and wanted everyone to follow. And I think Kidman and I actually did what he asked us to do better than any of the rest of them. The rest of them had a deal of they would kind of take what Raven asked them to do tongue in cheek and they would do some of it, but not all of it. Cause they want to be cool like him. And right. that wasn't, that wasn't the deal. You know, there's one leader. You can't all be cool guys, you know? And so I think Riggs got caught up in between trying to be cool and trying to be this character and it kind of just blended in almost like sick boy to a way, to a degree, you know, he had in his mind what he thought was good and would work and, his, and instead of taking what Raven wanted to do, He he kind of toned it all down and just kind of blended in and didn't stand out. But I think Kidman and I, of that group, I think Kidman and I truly took what, and that just, I'm again reaffirming Raven being a great genius mind for wrestling and knowing how to turn out characters and knowing how to get everybody over to the
1: best of that person's ability in the group to further the flock, which was his deal. See, a a mind like his is so needed in wrestling today because. Every single person in the flock had their own thing and everyone stood out, even though you were a collective. Uh, I see a lot of uh, groups get put together today and I don't know anything about any of their characters and nothing about them stands out to me. Um, They're just another guy in a group. Whereas this group, there's a reason why everyone remembers the flock because everyone was their own entity.
0: Right. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, what
1: you said about today's product, I, I agree with 100%. Uh, memories of Ron Rees. Uh, you know, good for him to be in the flock now. He's finally doing something other than Big Ron Stud or uh, I think the, the Giant Ninja and also the Yeti. Uh, it's, good the for Yeti. Him. <laughs> it's good for yeah. him to finally be in, you know, doing something important. Uh, what are your memories so- of him in the flock?
0: Uh, Reese was one of my better friends out of the whole group because I knew I met Reese at the power plant Reese was at the power plant every day training you know he was there working out himself but also he always he welcomed the new guys and the young guys and because he lived there in Atlanta he was under contract and so he really helped the young guys feel comfortable and and kind of blend in and kind of ushered them in and and told them basically kind of carry themselves and you know, Reese is great. His, his son is actually playing football this year. Uh, this, he played, played last year. It was his, his first year at a school not far from here in Charlotte. He lives down in Atlanta. And so he was up here last August for a – he and I had an autograph signed together. And we actually did a battle royal together, which is pretty cool. That's great. So uh, I, I love Big Reese. He, he's got a heart of gold. And uh, you talk about a gentle giant. He's just – he's a really cool guy. So I have nothing but great
1: things to say about him. Cool, man. There's only a couple more to go. Uh, Obviously, I would say probably the the biggest breakout star from the flock, uh, Kidman.
0: Fantastic talent, man. Just uh, the the things he could do in the ring were phenomenal. Um, Kidman and I probably had, even though we were in the flock together, after the flock, we probably wrestled each other, I would say, six or seven times, maybe, um, at least. And Never had a bad match with Kidman. You just can't. He, he's so good, and he's going to cover up. I just, I really love working with him. We, we had good brain chemistry, but I think Kidman had that with almost anyone. He could have a good match with anybody. So um, I, I loved working with him. He was, a like I said, a good talent, and, and it was fun to see him get over. And you talk about somebody that had the ability, before he got married, to pull women. Whoa, chicks loved
1: Kidman. It was amazing. Tori Wilson, do we need to say anything else? I mean, come on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> um, uh, I think uh, with something I want to say about Kidman, I've watched every episode of WCW Saturday Night. And it's, you know, let's talk, let's say 1999. WCW Saturday Night is now a C show. Every it time is. Kidman was on that show, he still wrestled like it was a pay per view. And I used to think to myself, "Geez, man, like you don't need to dive off the top rope to the outside and collide with the guardrail, you know, in a, in a match against yes. Blitzkrieg or whatever." Um, I, that's just one thing I noticed about him: balls to the wall every single time. And, and you know that that was the thing. Um, you know, some of those guys, um,
0: some of the higher fl- the, the guys who would do those high fly moves. They truly and, and Lenny was one of these guys. You know, it, that was what they did. It, it wasn't like they were pushing the envelope to them or like like you said, okay, you don't have to do that on the Saturday Night Show, right? But if he didn't do it on Saturday Night Show, he would feel like he wasn't working or he was phoning it in. I mean, yeah. you, you could no more you could no more take that out of his arsenal. I mean, if, if you back then. Now, he may have a different take on it now. But back then, if somebody would have said, hey, you don't have to do this, this, and this, and please don't do the shooting star press for a finish, he's like, why am I even here? That's what I do. You know, it just it, where, where you and I look at it, you know, and I, I would do some dives and stuff. And I didn't mind catching the guys, but that was not necessarily what I wanted to do all the time. Um, it, it, for those guys back then, if you told them not to do that, it would be like, like saying, don't lock up or don't do a headlock. I mean, it was just you know that's how it was for Absolutely. them. There was no thought of it. It's not high risk. It's not. It's just it's
1: wrestling to them. Yeah. It was just
0: another plot for them, you
1: know. Uh, and there's uh, one more guy, uh, Horace. Do you think he was yeah. a good fit for the flock? <sighs> no, and I know. I remember watching it back and thinking to myself, it doesn't fit. You know, he's Hogan's it, nephew. He he should have been in the NWO. <laughs> It did, yeah, you know, it
0: it did not fit, but um, Horace was thankful for the spot. Um, He and I, you know, we we roomed together, so, you know, like I said, with everybody in the flock, we ended up trading off, you know, roommates and and riding with different people, and some, for somebody who had, you know, Hogan behind him and had been in the business for a while, done some stuff over in Japan, he was always super nice and cordial, Um, great to me. I don't know that he just loved wrestling. You know, it's like he did it. It was a job. It was there. But I don't know that it was his driving passion. Right. You know, it just – and if it was, and I'm speaking on a term from the times I spent with him, um, I'm not trying to take anything away from him because, like I said, I think he had a heart of gold, and I think he knew where he was and why he was there. Um, but – uh, there you go. But he, um, you know, he just – like I said, I think – it wasn't his number one goal in life
1: to be a professional wrestler. I know a lot of marks and stuff talk shit about his wrestling ability, but a guy his size diving over the top rope every single match he had, doing suicide dives, I think Horace was fucking awesome, to be honest. Yeah, you know,
0: that was the thing. I think he, he I personally agree with you. I think he got. He got knocks on his work, but I don't think he was as bad as people would make him out to be.
1: No way. Put Definitely. him put him in WWE today. He's upper a mid card. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, another question: um, Do you feel the flock got their due in WCW because it seemed like a fairly popular stable that never got to feud with bigger groups like the Horsemen or the Wolf Pack?
0: Yeah. Um. There were lots of talks among the guys that um, Hogan wanted one bad guy group. And that's why the flock got disbanded before it had its full run or never got to go up to that next level. Um, there are backstage politics everywhere. Um, I, I will never forget one night we were coming back through the curtain, and Hogan and Bischoff were in the next segment to go out, and I think there was a commercial break. And we're coming back from the rink, and we may have just beaten Benoit up. Or I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do know it was one of those deals where it was a big arena, and this had to be early, mid-'98. And the whole place, I mean, we've got a commercial break, but it's one of those deals where the entire arena is like, loady sucks load he sucks i mean he was just reverberating and we walked through the curtain and there stands hogan and bischoff just kind of looking at us and saturn looks at me and goes good job ted you just got our push killed Gosh. and it was shortly, it was shortly after that we learned they were going to um take the flock apart
1: right that's a shame you, you do the right yeah. thing you do the right thing and you get punished for it
0: <laughs> yeah you know and, and, and that's when it at that point, I was starting to learn the whole backstage politics thing—that there are things going on that you wouldn't expect or you wouldn't think. You're like, "Oh, we're all friends here. Everybody wants everybody to do well." No, they don't want you. They want you to do well, but not better than them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, when you know that the flock is soon to be broken up, uh, how are you feeling uh, about your future post-flock? And were you excited to do something different, or? Deep down, we like damn this. This could, this could have a bit more of a run.
0: You know, in in hindsight, I think all of us probably should have fought to get that together a little longer. Done now, I th- I think at the time, the way it was pitched to us, um, you know, and already had an idea what he was going to do. I think Saturn was looking to kind of do his own thing, even though he hung out with Raven for a little while before he went on. Um. I felt like probably when it was happening that I would stick with Raven for a little while and do some stuff and didn't realize they were going to pull me off totally. So I thought less of it at the time than I probably should have because, again, I, I thought Raven and Nine Canyon and I would keep doing some stuff. I didn't realize they were going to take me off from the whole Raven thing. So th- right. there was a time shortly after that, though, where I realized I, I'm kind of a at sea here by
1: myself. Right. Um, you, you do get a bit more of a push on TV during Raven's feud with Saturn, where Saturn is, um, you know, in the flock when he doesn't really want to be. Uh, right. And you're getting some microphone time and things like that. You even get a victory over Saturn on TV. What do you enjoy most about that looking back? Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, Perry was, again,
0: and, and they've all told me this later on, And so, this is not just what I thought. These are things that I I know for a fact. You know, he was a bit jealous of the attention I was receiving because you can see, okay, this kid's getting over and he's not doing anything. The whole storyline of me beating Saturn and Saturn being my flunky and my slave for a month up until the paper. Do you know whose idea that was? Raven. It was Saturn's. Really? Oh, wow. Because. If you got this kid that's getting over, what do you do?
1: Oh, you put yourself with them. Bam! It's, like, it's like Hogan with Perry. National Hall. You see the train Perry. train running along. You better hop on before it's too late.
0: <laughs> How great. And it was, and, and Perry was so smart to do that. And he told me later, that's exactly why I did it. He said, you're getting over. This will get both of us over even more. And they, did, they played that up great for the entire month before – fall brawl of 98 where we broke up the flock at, um, you
1: know, at the pay-per-view. Yep, And that's where I'm heading towards now. Uh, Raven faces Saturn and in one of the matches of the year, as far as I'm concerned, the the drama that took place in that match. um, It's so it's perfect wrestling. It is perfect. Uh, What are your fondest memories of these final moments of the group and this specific pay-per-view? Um, the pay per view took place in Winston Salem, North Carolina, which is about 30 minutes
0: from where I grew up. My entire family was there. My friends were there. Um, the fact that it was the culmination of this whole thing with a flock and me being Saturn's boss and the whole Raven thing and me being a ringside the entire time, to this day, um, I tell everyone that was, people always ask, okay, 25 years, what's your favorite match? That one? Raven and Saturn? Yeah, because, I mean, it was the best match I've ever been a part of. And it's, I, I make it a must-watch for all my wrestling students. As a matter of fact, right after the shutdown, we all came into the gym one night um, when we weren't uh, having wrestling practice and, and watched it. And I made all the kids watch that show because at the end, if, if you haven't seen it recently, if you go back and start watching the false finishes, the fans come out of their seat for every false finish. They bought everything. Huge man. Huge. No, and, and like you said, it was um the way it was set up, the whole storyline and the culmination of two years of stuff, it, it was great. it was done wonderfully. And I will put that up against anything I've done my entire, you know, wrestling career, the whole thing with everybody in the flock being involved, but you know, Kidman turned on Raven and the thing. Saturn put me through the table. Uh, you know, Canyon was out there with us. Just just good, good stuff, man.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I still, and I'm happy to hear that you show your students that because I'm sure there are a lot of young wrestlers these days that just want to watch new Japan or AEW or whatever. And they don't <laughs> see stuff like this. And this is when yeah. wrestling was just so awesome. And moments like this are so awesome. And you hear all the great matches of all time, Austin and Brett at WrestleMania, et cetera, et cetera. Right. This, this, this match should be thrown in the conversation as well because that drama with all those false vintages, it was just yeah. unbelievable. I, I, th- their setup,
0: their execution, that, you know, that, that match was just, like I said, over and over again. I, there, there's nothing in my career that comes close to it when people say favorite match, best match, whatever. It's
1: that by far. Uh, once the flock has disbanded, did you guys still travel together and all that? Um, you know what? Not so much. It was
0: kind of funny. We we started going our own separate ways after that. We did not um, you know, we, we weren't doing all the same shows anymore, you know, whereas before we were on everything together. So that's one thing. You're always gonna be there. But when you start doing different shows like so I was rarely doing nitro or thunder anymore um uh, when when the flock first got um disbanded so basically I, for a couple of weeks i just did the saturday night show which means i would only do tv on a tuesday night so if you come in for one day you know you're going it's, it's kind of hard to catch up with everybody in one day and, and
1: travel together and
0: do stuff like that so
1: not so much um sorry uh, uh your uh video your is it is it gone your side on there we go <laughs> right, there we go <laughs> I got to plug it in here. My battery's running weak. I'm sorry. That's okay. If you need a minute, that's cool. All right. I'm plug this thing in. We'll be good. All right. We're good to go now. Excellent, brother. I'm really having fun, by the way. This is uh, really good stuff. Um, so next... Um, I believe for a little while, just a little while, you stayed loyal on screen to Raven after the group broke up, but um, soon enough, obviously, that parted ways, and as time wore on, you started to wrestle more singles matches on TV. Uh, You could have almost been typecast as only being a ringside lackey that bumps for somebody else, but now Lodi must be seen as a competitive wrestler as opposed to being beaten easily. How easy right. or difficult was the process moving from spot of being lackey that bumps for Raven into now being a competitive wrestler having eight to ten minute matches on television
0: you know the the, the hard thing for me started w c w was after a year and a half almost two years of doing independent stuff with my competitive bodybuilding background from when I started, I typically would be one of the most well-built guys on a wrestling show yeah so for for two years i had kind of played this uh big baby face captain america character you know who was probably one of the more well-liked guys on the show to all of a sudden going into wcw not wrestling as much and like you said being a total flunky lackey goofball character it it, was a 180 degree swing and what i was used to And Raven was great at teaching me to, like, basically, and I think this is where, as I was telling you earlier, delving into the character, Raven had me write up a whole biography on Lodi, whereas where did Lodi go to school? Who were Lodi's friends? What's in Lodi's playlist? What's in Lodi's closet? You know, what are Lodi's parents like? Did Lodi have parents? Like, this whole three- or four-page biography on everything Lodi could possibly be that that taught me who this character was. And for the longest time, before I would go out and perform, I would truly with an, you know, learning from actors and stuff, whatever, sit down and go over this list to kind of put myself into this character because it was so unlike anything I'd ever done before. And you know, on the fly, Raven would throw things at me that would seem so goofy at the time, I'd be like, what? And he would try to like, you know, he would tell me to do something and it always worked. I mean Basically, he was just feeding me old Johnny Polo spots. You know, I, I, it took me a while to realize that, but Lodi's nothing but a ripoff of Johnny Polo. But, um, but Johnny Polo was, was a cool character for what he was, you know? And so that was my role. And um, it was harder to switch from what I was doing before to that Lodi character than it was to go back to start doing some wrestling stuff again and incorporating – the conniving type Lodi character without going too far and being too far away from what I was doing. I don't know if you remember or saw on the Saturday night shows for a while, Terry Taylor and I came up with the scene where I was getting some wins where I had the loaded glove. Yeah. You know, I, I would do a match. I basically lose almost the whole match, typical Lodi fashion. But I'd go over to a corner and i pull out the gimmick and i put it in my glove. Pow! You yeah. know, i knock the guy down and I'd win and I'd celebrate. Yeah. It would be like, you know, if you're a fan, you're like, Dude, you didn't do anything but cheat at the very end to win. You suck. You know, it, it was just—it was perfect for the Lodi character to make that segue to have the loaded glove, you know. And so he was getting some wins and getting a little steam on Saturday night, but it wasn't for his wrestling ability. He was still being that flunky, funny type character
1: with just you know outsmarting some guys at the end by cheating. <laughs> um, last weekend we had the opportunity to interview Scott Hudson. And yes. Scott told a great story where um, he and Larry zabisco were recording commentary for the Saturday Night Program. Uh, and there was a match between you and Barry Darso. And Barry, <laughs> Barry ricocheted a, ball, a golf ball off your head. That flew six... That threw... Bro. I'm trying to get through this sentence that flew six, <laughs> rose into the back, and apparently Larry was in tears and couldn't <laughs> couldn't continue. The...
0: <laughs> Do you know how hard a golf ball is when it's bounced off your head? He lays this. darko lays this thing out for me in the back, and I'm not even thinking about it. Look, I, as a kid, I grew up playing golf. The way he, the way he pictured it. He's going to be really close he just kind of caught me with it right yeah but he wasn't close he like throws his like boom you know it's, <laughs>
1: oh.
0: it was have you seen it since then have you watched the spot
1: yeah i have
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> One of the hardest i've ever been hit in my life
1: <laughs> i just love oh. that uh larry literally could not continue what they were trying to do the whole match. He's just got his head on the, on the desk crying. Yeah, of but
0: you know, Larry's you know a big golfer, right?
1: Absolutely. That's all he talked about. Yeah. Jerry. <laughs> yeah. So yeah,
0: Larry's a big golfer. It's funny. We mentioned this earlier when we are talking about Larry's Abisco. Um When I, when I ran Dusty Rhodes wrestling company, TCW turnbuckle championship wrestling down in yeah. Maryland, Georgia, uh, I was Dusty's hardcore champion. And we used Zabisco a lot because Zabisco was, you know, down around Atlanta. And Zabisco thought the hardcore stuff was just junk, right? Yeah. But he had this, he had this grand idea. He goes, Loody, can I, can I talk to you for a second? And I thought he was joking at first. He goes, I, I've got a serious idea. Hear me out. Hear me out. I want you to pitch this to Dream. You know, you, you the hardcore champion, you're going to wrestle me, the living legend. I'm going to wrestle you for your hardcore belt. I'm like Larry, you know. He he was he was wrestling at then, but I mean, he, he was only wrestling like Bullet Barb Armstrong or or Dusty. Yeah. You know, he was he wasn't getting it. I'm like, you want to wrestle for the hardcore belt? I know how you feel about hardcore wrestling. He says, no, no, hear me out, hear me out. We'll build this thing up huge. I'm coming. I want to be the hardcore champion He goes, we'll do all these promos. And he goes, I want you to come down with your gar- with your you know your grocery cart, and I want you to have like chainsaw in there like a machete and like all this crazy stuff, right? The things you know, like people were like, oh my gosh, he's going to kill Larry Sabisco. He <laughs> said, you know, you come down there and you start throwing it all in the ring, you know, you know, like some big shears, just everything you can imagine. It's like off the charts, like he's how is he going to use this in a hardcore match? And you know, we'll build it up and right as you come through the ropes, I'm going to reach up and schoolboy, you <laughs> one, two, three, and I'll, laugh, and I'll be gone. And I'm like, Larry, I wanted to do it, Dusty wouldn't let us. And to this day, I see Larry and he still brings it up. He's like, Lodi, I think we had a good idea with that hardcore championship. And I pop for it every time. I'm like, Larry, I think so too.
1: That would have been brilliant. That would have been brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so Larry, Larry is a good guy, man. He always made me laugh.
1: Yeah, uh, cool, man. I've only heard great things about him. Um, Uh, Next, I wanted to talk about uh, 1999 and the story beginning with yourself forming a tag team with Lenny Lane, who, in my opinion, at that time was sorely in need of some sort of direction at that point. He had really not had many stories uh, going up to that point. Um, And uh, were you working with Kevin Nash with this storyline? Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, I was. Um, To... Play off what you just asked so easily, Lenny. Um, he was just doing the Saturday night shows, pretty much. Occasionally, do a job on Thunder or Nitro. Yeah, I didn't know him very well enough to say, "Hey, Lenny, how are you?" You know, just by face. We never spent any time together. And he came up to me to show, and he goes, "Hey, Lodi, can I talk to you for a second?" I'm like, "Sure." He said, um, "I got an idea for us." I don't know this guy. Yeah, what, what do you mean you got an idea for us? He goes, well, what are they doing with you now? I'm like, well, really nothing, man. I got the Lodi glove. And, you know, that's, that's about it. There's no real direction with my character. He said, what if you and I form a tag team? A tag team? I looked at him. I said, what are we going to be, Lodi and Liddy, the losers? I mean, what <laughs> what, what, what are Liddy and Lodi going to do? And he said, no, no, no. Hear me out. He said, you know, what if? You know, kind of like we'll play off that Saturday Night Live sketch, you know, the Ann gay duo. He said, We can do these vignettes, like, you know, we're walking down the beach eating ice cream and your ice cream falls. And I'm like, here, Lodi, have some of mine. You know, <laughs> he, he gives me like these four or five scenarios, right? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. He said, Man, it could work. I'm like, you know what? And I really blew him off. I said, do me a favor, put it all on paper. And it's your TV in two weeks for the Saturday night show, you know, because we'll he knew I was friends with Nash. He said, you can take this to Nash, man. You can get it done. I'm like, write it all down for me. And if you bring it to TV in two weeks, I'll take it to Nash. How's that? He said, okay, cool. I knew he wasn't going to do it, right? So we show up TV two weeks later. Here he comes. Hey, Lodi, I got it done. <laughs> he, brings three, he brings me this three or four-page outline, right? And I look at it, and the first sentence is, This is not a gay gimmick. I'm like, Lenny, I can't, I can't take this to Kevin Nash. But he went on to explain it. And he's like, he's like, bro, you said you would. I'm like, okay, I gave you my word. I need to be a man of my word. Let's go. So we walked down the hall and where Kevin had his office set up or whatever. I said, Kevin, can we talk to you for a second? He said, sure. I said, What's up? I said, Hey, man, I got an idea to bounce off of you. If you'll just read over this, get back with us when you can. We won't stay and bug you. Here you go. And I hand it to him. He looks at it and goes, this is not a gay gimmick." What are you bringing me? We can't (laughs) do this here. He kind of throws it down on his desk. I'm like, sorry. And Lenny's like, will you read it? And he's like, get out of here. And he just totally blew us off. So we walk out in the hall. I'm like, thanks, Lenny. Good job, man. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks go by. I want to say a couple of weeks, like, you know, maybe four or five, maybe even a month and a half or so. I was living in West Hollywood at the time and moved out to L.A. And I moved out to Marina del Rey and stayed in California. Still, I'm a place at Carolina Beach, but I've got a place in California too. And I get a call from Ross Foreman, who was our uh, WCW uh, magazine editor at the time and very good friends with Kevin Nash, a friend of mine. He's like, Lodi, what are you doing? And I was in a meeting with my manager out in L.A. I said, well, I'm in a meeting. What's up? He said, you're going to get a call in about five minutes from Kevin Nash. You didn't hear from me. Just be ready to go to Nitro. Click. What? You know, so I go out. We were having lunch with my manager at the time out in L.A. And my phone rings. I pick it up, and it was Kevin. He's like, Lodi, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I have a meeting with my manager. What's up, Kev? He said, um can you make it to Nitro next Monday? And I'm like, what am I going to be doing? He goes, we'll talk about it when you get here. How about, um, I think we're going to rub that idea. I'm like, what idea? He said, the one you gave me with you and Lenny. He said, can you do Nitro next Monday? I said, yes, sir.
1: And the rest is kind of history. So um, you and Lenny have this team called the West Hollywood Blondes, where you are really pushing the envelope on TV. We have to portray yourselves in a certain light. Um, Through this, Lenny wins the Cruiserweight Championship, and you're having this great run on TV, and you're getting over again, just like you did in the flock. Um, How are you feeling as, you know, maybe just give us a short timeline of events as you... You start the idea, you start doing it, and then all of a sudden it starts working. Um, you know, I, I've i seen it happen in wrestling
0: a couple of times um, through different gimmicks, characters, even small wrestling companies or whatever. Um, Lenny and I, like I said, didn't know each other before this. And we went from not knowing each other to starting this, uh, West Hollywood Blonde Act to rooming and riding together and sharing a hotel room and doing everything together day in day out on the road and became just ad- absolutely immediately like great great friends and we worked out together we ate lunch together we rode together we rode together um, and that chemistry I think that we had between us came across on TV and yeah. That's something, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use this term. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it was lightning in a bottle. You know, it's like you've got it. You know you've got it. And you just want to ride it as long as you can because you don't know how long it's going to be there. You don't know where it came from. Yeah. But there there were nights very early on, we walked back through the curtain and half the boys are back there going, <laughs> just, you know. And, and And the best part was, you know, you got all these macho wrestlers who are just—you know—everybody's got to be cooler, tougher than the next guy, right? And um, you know, they would always make comments and, and snide remarks, kind of joking, but they're like, "Oh, that was freaking good. That was good. That was good." And then, you know, some of the guys that would, that would call us the worst names or try to rib us the most—you know—be like, "Hey, come here." Hey, try this spot. And the boys gave us the best ideas. So much of the stuff you saw us do on TV, we came up with some of it, but so much of it, like, Stephen Regal, was great. And, you know, he was amazing at helping us with stuff. He gave us all the old – and he helped Lenny so much with all the old Adrian Street stuff. And so, you know, Dave Taylor was great. And those guys, like I said, they would just pull us to the side. You know, it's funny one one of the first nights on TV we ever did the spot against um, Brad Armstrong and swole when he was in the No Limit Soldiers. Yeah, Yeah. We were, I think we were in Huntsville, Alabama, which was a hot town for wrestling. And and Brad Armstrong, another one of the greatest to ever get in the ring, just an amazing, amazing talent. I've wrestled the whole Armstrong family, and all of them are amazing. Um. But it was funny because we laid it out with Brad, you know, what we're going to do where he shoots me in the corner, shoots Lenny in the corner. Swole comes in with a big splash. Lenny falls out on all fours. You know, I fall out behind him and I'm rocking back and forth. <laughs> and, you know, we would call it the doggy position, you know, there. And, and Brad said, I want you guys to hit that. I'm just going to wait and let the fans come with it. And then I'll kick you, you know, and break you up out of it. We'll go to the next spot. And we had done this on house shows, but we had not done it on live TV yet. I think it was the first time we hit it on TV, and the building, you can hear. I mean, it's one of those things, like, the roof is getting ready to come off. It's, like, starting to come, and, like, we hadn't been there but a split second, a brief second, and all of a sudden, Brad just kicks me in the head, you know, and we get back in the back, and I'm, like, the match went well. You know, we got pops where we we're supposed to. But I'm, like, Brad, why did you cut that spot so short? I mean, we we're supposed to – because once I get behind Lenny, you know, he's all force. I rock back and forth, and it's a big, <laughs> slow, drawn-out thing, you know, and boom, the boot came. He said, man, I was sitting there, and I was watching, and I heard the crowd coming. I'm like, this is going to be great. All of a sudden, it hit me. I'm like, there are 10 million people at home watching these two grown men do this on TV. I can't let them see it. Bam! <laughs> he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just couldn't leave you there. I was, I was dying inside. I'm
1: like, oh. Unbelievable. That,
0: that, that's one of those times when you know you've got somebody like Brad Armstrong who, who's grown up in the business and knows it as good or better than anybody else. And and he's even popping for it. And he's like, I can't let this stay on TV so long, you know, <laughs> but it was, it was one of those things where, you know, the more we worked So many things we did in the ring, truly, were ad lib. They 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 just came to us, and we get back in the back, and some of the guys would be like, "Hey, where did you guys decide to do such and such, or how did you come up with?" And we're like, "We just did it."
1: Yeah, you know,
0: we we have it was one of those things, and so you know, I, I have been tag partners with a lot of different guys through shows and stuff, whatever, and that type of chemistry. It's just rare. It just you you rarely ever come across it. And when you do, I, I think that comes across on TV like you did with us.
1: Yep, and it absolutely worked until a point when eventually you're both pulled off TV very out of the blue from at least for uh, my standpoint as a fan watching um, due to complaints from Glad. Uh, take yeah, me sorry. through the day you found out about this, and how disappointed you must have been. The flock has come and gone. You weren't. Oh. You had the loaded glove, but you weren't doing a lot. Finally, you get yourself back over, and now you have another bump in the road, and you're off TV.
0: Oh, that was um, that was tough um, because we were setting up for. Right before we got pulled, we were going to be the surprise tag team to face Harlem Heat for the tag belts at the next pay per view. Right. And they pulled us because Glad complained again to AOL Time Warner. And the whole Glad thing that bothered me the most, um, this was, you know, 98, 99, 99. Uh, the internet's. You know, wrestling is starting to be a big thing on online that kind of stuff. We got so many emails from fans that were upset. We got emails from Glad field coordinators who actually quit when they found out Glad was behind getting us taken off TV. Right. The thing that the thing that upset me the most. I mean, this in the states this made USA Today. It made the Washington Post. It was in all the big papers. Um, The thing that bothered me the most, the glad watchdog, the guy they had that was the monitor for everything that could possibly be anti LGBTQ, Um, he complained about five things about the West Hollywood Blondes. And instead of anyone explaining to him that all five of his complaints were ill founded and wrong, uh, they just took us off TV. They just automatically. Coward and said, okay, yep, they're, they're off TV, they're done. Don't worry about it, won't ever happen again. Um, do you know, have, have you heard about this through your reading or anything, what he complained about?
1: Does any of this sound familiar? Uh, I, I wasn't able to find too much information, just that Spent. they were involved and um, okay, the bad press might have had a factor in Eric Bischoff losing his job. But yeah. I don't, I don't so, know if there's any truth to that or not. I was actually going to ask you if you right. knew about that.
0: The um, the problem with the whole glad complaint. They complained once earlier. There was a time when we were in Atlanta, and Lenny and I had done a vignette, and we what we were leading up to as the whole storyline came out that we were brothers. Yeah. Um, that 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 was the plan all along. Yeah. It just got fast forwarded to get there. Um, but we were doing we were doing a vignette in the back where Lenny was worried and Lenny was upset. And I'm telling Lenny, it's okay. We're not the only ones here, man. It's not a big deal. I'm talking about us being brothers, but, of course, everybody's thinking something else. But we walk out of the room and I set the door, and you look back, and the show was in Atlanta, Georgia, actually. And you look back, the door said closet. So it looked like we'd come out of the closet. And and they had complained and, and you know, at the time, they explained to Glad that we're a weekly episodic show. You know, they're like, "We won't ever show it again." You know, it happens, blah blah. So one of the first complaints in this five-piece thing was they were told they would never show that again, and they said they showed it multiple times again, which they never did. So that right. that was just a blatant. It was it was a blatant untruth. So that one doesn't count. Yep. Um, they said at, in every arena, Lodi is announced as Lenny's gay homosexual partner. No. <laughs> no. Well, those, those, those two words were never used in an arena or on TV. Ever. Never. No. So 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 that that that's where I had the problem. Um, you know, there's two things that, that aren't even close to the truth. The third thing was we never won a match. Uh you already said Liddy was the cruiserweight champion. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did we how do we get the cruiserweight belt if we never want a match? Right? And so there's three things that aren't even in the realm of reality because Lenny got the belt and kept the belt. Yeah. Uh, He's he's beating everyone. Yeah. The the, the fourth thing that that they brought out was they had wished it had been established characters that came out, not just two new people they threw on TV. I had been on TV since 97, and Lenny had been on since 96. So I think the Lodi character was well as, – as Lenny's character was well established before. They may not have known who we were, but wrestling fans knew who we were.
1: Yeah.
0: And the fifth thing was they said we were inciting homophobic behavior everywhere we went. So that, that was the five things. And, and four out of those five, you know, when, when they went to inciting homophobic behavior – they said there were, you know, slurs and stuff used against us in the arenas, and I can't argue with that. There were times when we were causing pretty bad things. Um, so we, we will give them one out of five. Um, I don't think we were going out to willingly incite homophobic behavior. Um, and I had friends of mine in Atlanta who were gay that pulled me to the side, like, "Hey, we know you're not gay." We think what you guys are doing is really funny. Just don't make us look bad when you pull out of this because we know it's somewhere in the storyline. It's wrestling. We know you guys aren't going to be gay on TV. And I'm like, no problem. We got cover it covered. Yeah. You know? So so to, to lose that lightning in a bottle thing that you just can't come up with and grab because you want it, to have that yanked out from under you, um, that was a real kick in the teeth, man. That, that, that's probably one of the hardest things in retrospect to deal with and, you know, then to see, you know, WWE total, totally copied it with a Billy and Chuck thing, you know. Yeah,
1: um, absolutely. You know, Actually, yeah. when that was happening, I was always hoping, oh, I hope Lenny and Lodi show up.
0: <laughs> yeah, how great, you know, and, and here was the bad thing. When WCW took us off TV, um, we were still under contract. And so, WWE was not allowed to talk to us, but right. not, you know, not directly indirectly through Matt Hardy from Jim Rawls was, you know, we were given a notice that like, if you can get out of your contract, you have a job right now.
1: Really? And I met
0: with, yeah.
1: And, uh. you know, uh,
0: yeah. And so we asked for our release multiple times and we're told you guys are the future of this company. We don't want to let you go. We're going to make this right. And um, at this point, Raven was at ECW. Yeah. And so I would, I would attend a lot of the ECW shows with Raven on the weekends if I was free. And I had multiple talks with, uh, Paul Heyman and Paul's like, if you can get out your contract I'll offer your six figures, to come here tomorrow. Oh, man. So we, we had two places to go, but JJ Dillon and the rest of the guys, every time we asked, refused to let us out of our contract. And so, um, you know, when they finally brought us back with the standards of practices that we both hated and the ideas they had for us, and then, you know, the, I hate to berate this part about it, but you know Vince Russo and Ed Farrar brought us back and made a lot of promises to us the first night we met them and, and came back to the show, and they broke them all the very next TV.
1: It just left a bad taste in my mouth. So I understand. Um, yeah.
0: Damn, man.
1: Let's, I had no idea about the fact that you could have got to WWE at that point, and if you got off the sink and ship at that point, who knows where things would have gone for you and Lenny. Right, um, right, right, That is so heartbreaking to hear. Um, what did you do uh, during your time off TV? You know,
0: if you're not on TV, how to sight out of mind It's terrible. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing. Um, but for me... Uh, we were still getting paid, obviously, and I had a really good contract, and um, at this time, I had not kicked the drugs and the alcohol, and for me, having nothing to do, but you see, so part of the thing was, in hindsight, people are always like, why did not you pick up a spare job, or why don't you start doing something on the side, or blah, blah, whatever, and we were getting calls every week, we're like, hey, we're going to try to bring you guys back next week, We've got to get this new idea past the standard of practice, guys. But we, and we heard this every other week. So it wasn't like I could run out and do something because I was expecting to go back to TV quicker. And I really – that was the point in my life when I realized as people were meant to do something. I was getting re- paid ridiculous amounts of money and, you know, with no direction or anything to do with my life. It was just – it was a really bad time for me with drugs and alcohol. Not good right.
1: Sorry to hear that, man. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more uh, as we move along. Um, So I did want to talk about standards and practices, but the main thing I really wanted to ask about was uh, (laughs) you had Stacey Keebler as your manager. Um, How how difficult was it to concentrate when you were around Stacey Keebler?
0: Um, You know, at this point in Stacey's young life, she did not know very much about wrestling. Um, beautiful girl. Uh the funny thing was, like for me, I've always dated um tall and blondes. So that's just kind of my thing. And it was funny because my, my girlfriend at the time, all of her friends were like, So how do you feel about him having to kiss Stacy on TV? You know, and and she would just laugh because we we did not have a good relationship. I she messed up a lot of her matches. And listen, I don't care how pretty you are. You start messing with my livelihood, we've got issues. Right. Um, And what I mean by that is, obviously, the office loved her because of the way she looked. But there were many nights we would have a match, and she was supposed to be our cue to go to a next part of our match or whatever. And there was one night she was supposed to come down after I gave a guy a superplex to go to the go home, which is like 9 to 10 minutes into a 12-minute match. We were working with um, Johnny the Bull, and who was his part? Vito.
1: Big, big Vito. Yeah.
0: We we were not even a minute and a half into the match, and I body slammed Johnny, and here comes Stacy, and like they start her music and the whole thing. We the way the match is planned out, the TV and the announcer started. We we had to go to the go home, but she continually messed up. It wasn't like it was a one time deal. And so when we finally got a chance, there were some changes backstage. They put Kevin Sullivan back in charge. And we got along pretty well with Kevin. <clears throat> and we went and asked him immediately. We're like, can we please, A, get out of these suits, do something different, and get rid of Stacey? Um, it, it was, and so that we, we actually filmed a little vignette where we kind of fired her in, in the vignette. But yeah. that was a shoot, brother. I mean, it was like – I was like, you're terrible. We don't want to be around you. We don't want you around us. You don't do anything but cause us problems. <laughs> and and it, was, it was one of those things where, I, and she just didn't know any better.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: she'd been a, she'd been a cheerleader for the Boston Ravens and a dancer for the Ravens or whatever. And they brought her on as a Nitro girl initially, but then stuck her out there with us. And she just she just didn't know wrestling. You know, like I said, when you're told to come down on a superplex and you're explained what it is and when it's going to happen. You come out on a body slam eight minutes earlier, you know you're screwing up our whole sh- our, our whole match, and that happened like I said multiple times, and so, um, you know, no will will at this point, but she was just she was
1: really really green and just you know beautiful girl, but my goodness. Uh, I guess um, I'll I'll omit I'll my next question, which is, what are your favorite memories of working with Stacy? Um, <laughs>
0: uh, tell her goodbye. <laughs> not, not the night, not, not the night at the pay-per-view where I had to kiss her. That's for sure.
1: It was the, like I said. That was funny. all
0: my friends were like. So and they just didn't know about our relationship, but my girlfriend, you know, a girl I was dating, did, which is kind of funny.
1: Right. So, um. So yeah. yeah, I was gonna say standards and practices doesn't last long. Now I know why. Um, yeah. self and Lenny started a new, new gimmick called 2XS and then later just XS. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, was, was the idea behind the gimmick to mimic what was happening in real life? To a degree, yes. And the other thing was just to get us out of those freaking suits and see what we
0: could do. And, and you know, Lenny and I had this idea that we could get something besides those stinking suits what they want us to do you know which which was a tongue-in-cheek thing the standards of, they dressed us and had us go get suits like the actual standards of practice guys that work for wcw yeah who knew that the fans didn't know that it was like an inside rib that the boys didn't even know it was stupid i mean it just it made no sense and like i said it was russo and then then trying to get back at the standards of practices, guys, but making fun of them on TV, which really didn't work. Regardless, um, so that's kind of what Lenny and I went with. Um, it, it was a quick change, and we were trying to figure out how to get back to, like, obviously we can't go back and do the Lenny loading thing again the same way, and everyone wants to change our names. I mean, Lenny, you know, his hair, and I had my cut and all that stuff, and um, got rid of the sideburns, and at one time we, we finally started letting let them grow back in, but, you know, as we were switching over to doing something different, this point, WCW was a sinking ship. Mm. Um, we, we, we had gone from 180 guys on the contract. We were down to about 60. And Lenny and I were two of the ones that were left. And then Lenny got hurt. And so we sat home uh, for about an eight to 10-week period. And when we got called to come back when Lenny was better, I got a call on Friday afternoon, and I got let go.
1: Right. And
0: – we, we joke every once in a while because Lenny and I were always together backstage. We're always together on the road. And, you know, if you're walking down the hallway, and, and I, I found myself doing this with tag teams, you know, they like, hey, Lenny. I like, mean, you know, you get them confused because you see them together all the time. And, and after a while, we joked around. We're like, you know, Lenny was the one that got hurt. We stayed at home for ten weeks, and I got fired. <laughs> and we were like, should they th- – th- they want to fire you and they called the wrong brother. We're like, we laugh about it? And, um, you know, to bring this whole thing full circle, one of the coolest things we've done, uh, Lenny and I reconnected last November for Wrestlecade here in North Carolina. It's a big independent show, on Thanksgiving Day weekend. We came into an autograph signing and we were in a 30 man battle royal, which had, um, Almost everybody you can imagine that's not on our contract right now. Events we had Sandman and Shane Douglas and just this whole you know question marks from NWA all names. And out of out of all the guys, they all got a generic entrance music, right? They got 28 guys in the ring, and they gave me and Lenny our whole entrance from the back. We were the last two to get in the ring. and it was pretty cool because like halfway through the battle royal, they sent down uh, NWO Sting and NWO and um uh, Scott Norton, who's good friends with Lenny and I. Scott's got a bad hip and can't get in the ring now. So they came down. We were over in the corner. They pulled us out, and we got to fight the NWO to the back. So it was a good <laughs> night for Lenny and I making make our return to, to the ring.
1: Oh, that's cool. You got to come full circle with it and have, like, yeah. one last nice moment together as a team.
0: Yeah, um, it was cool. And it, the funny thing was, that we spent the weekend together. And, and the strangest thing, we have not done a show together since – Oh, we did an autograph signing just one day for a Saturday, maybe seven or eight years ago. But I don't think we've done a match in 14 years. And wow. uh, the whole weekend, it, it was just, we're, I remember laying in the hotel room, letting out watch watching TV before it crashed. He's like, bro, you know, we hadn't done this in 14 years, but it feels like we were just doing it yesterday. It
1: was just yeah. the same, same. thing. Cool. Yeah. Like riding a bike. Um, it is. I, I, yes, I've, I've seen about the Wrestlecade shows over the years and, being yeah. in Perth, Western Australia, it really sucks that I could never go and see those shows. They always look like a lot of fun. Um, they are. I wanted to ask you quickly about uh, the reasoning behind your name change to Idol and then a few weeks later, now you're called Rave. Uh, what, right. was, what happened there? You know,
0: when they brought us back, they didn't want us to have the same names as before. They didn't want us to have Lodi and, and Lenny. And so that's why they're like, hey, you don't dress like Billy Idol anymore. Can we go with Idol? And then the whole rave thing, we were at the gorilla position, getting ready to walk through the curtain on a live show. And I remember Solomon came running up to me. He's like, we can't call you Idol anymore. What do you want us to call you? Lenny came up with, and he's like, call him Rave. I mean, really, it was, it, it was, it was a, a spur of, It was like, call him and our music was playing. It's like we walked out. It was just, and, and there at the end, that's how badly run WCWS. Yeah. So like you talk about fly by seat of your pants, decision-making. Our music was playing and they're, they're grabbing us and we're all like, Oh we gotta have a different name for you, kid.
1: We can't call you that anymore. Wow! Yeah, because like I only, I only just watched that like about three weeks ago because I'm I'm watching WCW yeah. in chronological order again oh, and good. um and yeah I was like now he's got another name. <laughs> you know, I, you know
0: it, it came and went so fast in in my brain. Yeah, it's almost like one well, of those things you just play off like it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did happen. I'm not denying it, but it's just you know, it was it was such because we got fired. I got fired shortly after that. And they brought Lenny back for two shows after that. Then he got fired right. so or let go. It was just, you know. And that was the thing. You mentioned this earlier. It really bummed us out because by the time we did get let go and WCW got bought by WWE, they had more guys than they needed. They weren't hiring anybody. So so we were really stuck. We're like, well, what do we do now? You know, we, yeah. we, we, wrestled, over, we wrestled overseas with World Wrestling All-Stars. We yeah. toured Australia. Told you about that. And then we did the, U- the UK tour and uh, we did some stuff here in the States with the world wrestling all-stars and that Lenny and I had some of our most fun ever doing those shows in Australia, the UK tour. And, you know, because there, you know, basically in the handcuffs were off us. We could we be us yeah. and uh, go out and just have a great time. And so the Australian shows were great. I love being there. I love Australia. I've been there twice. I went there once uh, for six weeks when I was much younger uh, like 25 years old, a girl I was dating was doing a study abroad program. I went there and with us for like a month and a half. And then we came back and toured for like 33 days, I think we were there. So, wow. very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I was going to ask about WWA later on. Um, but I- I'll ask the question now before I get back to where we're in in the timeline. Um, uh, you know, what do you like most about our country? Oh,
0: to be totally honest with you, my Australian girlfriend. Miss Carissa, I love her to death. (laughs) When I came over, you're probably like, what is he talking about? No, when we came over, uh, we had Jerry Lawler with us. And so every night, Jerry Lawler did his thing with the puppies and the girls, right? And so we were on like the second or third show of our Australian tour. And Lenny and I were wrestling Hoovy and Psychosis, I think, in a tag match. And they were both just ridiculously high and so n- no problem with being high but when you can't perform in the ring because you're high that's a bit of a problem and during the double down at the end uh movie tripped over my ankle and gave me a high ankle sprain and i was it was only like our third or fourth night there and we were doing like i said we were there for i want to say 32 or 33 days and we did 20 some shows And the owner of the company was really cool. He said, Lodi, look, he goes, the doctor looked at my ankle and and gave me some pills and whatever. And um, he's like, you probably need to take some time off. And I'm like, no, I'm here. I'm going to work, whatever. He said, no, if you're just a company leading to the ring for the next couple of shows, that'll be fine. He goes, I just need you to go wrestle by the pay-per-view towards the end. Mm -hmm. We're doing a pay-per-view from Melbourne. Inception, I think that was it. That's it, yeah. Yeah, and um, so the night I got hurt, One of the girls that was there to do the the, um, gimmick with Lawler, I was sitting backstage with ice on my leg, and my leg propped up by myself. And she walked by, and she's like, hey, what happened? I'm like, I got hurt. It's going to be fine or whatever. And her and I started talking, and I just fell head over heels in love with this girl. We hung out, and um, I ended up taking her on the rest of the tour with us. And she did the puppy spot for the rest. I I flew her with us and (laughs) took her with us. And and her and I still – we're still in contact to this day. She lives in Adelaide. We, uh, we Facebook message it every once in a while. And she keeps asking when I will come to Australia and see her again. But uh, yeah, so that, that's my favorite thing about Australia. The, the second thing about Australia I love, truly, I tell everyone this. In the United States, I've traveled all over the United States and I'm from the South and I think people in the South are just a little more kinder, gentler, nicer people than the rest of the country. But I tell everyone I meet that ask me this question, I think Australian people are some of the nicest people in the entire world. I absolutely, from the time I got on the plane to fly over until I got back, I just, I, I jokingly say Australians, the rocks at Southerners, they're so much nicer. I just, and all the time i spent over there, I made wonderful relationships with great people and, and, you know, the wildlife and all that stuff's amazing. You know, the beaches and the Gold Coast and the koala bears, all those cool things. But overall, uh, he, he, as much as the natural beauty that stuff is, the people left an amazing impression on me. The fans were great, but just meeting people on the street, people in general, were just so nice and laid back. I, I just can't say enough good thing about the people of Australia.
1: Absolutely, man. And if you ever do come back over and you find yourself in Perth, you know, I'll have you over for a barbecue. That would be great, you know. <laughs> that, was the
0: first that, was, that was our first show on our tour over there with Perth, uh, that whole WWA tour and that's a long way from Atlanta brother
1: <laughs> absolutely we we are the most isolated city in the world so it's uh yes, sir. it's always it it's always heart. amazing to have anything here <laughs> yeah um okay so back into the timeline i i don't want to get too heavy into this subject uh but you know say whatever you want to say but you you've mentioned that you had an addiction to painkillers and um right. and such around the time that you had let go from wcw um how bad was all of that getting? And can you explain to people who don't know what it's like to be in a place like that what it is like?
0: Yeah, um, my life's an open book. I mean, I, this is one thing I've never hid or or shied away from. Um, I had never been a pain pill user or pill guy before I went to WCW, and a lot of the guys, um, you know, would would take the pills for pain so you could perform because. I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes with people when they realize that wrestling is scripted or choreographed or we know who's going to win. I don't think they realize how physically intense it is. And, and to explain that a little further, you know, obviously I still wrestle every Friday and Saturday on the weekends here back in, you know, the South and throughout the country um, until we had this COVID shutdown, of course. Um, but some of my clients in my personal training gym, when the first time they come to see me wrestle, it's amazing. I train some retired people and some wealthy people, business owners who are quite intelligent. They come to watch me wrestle, and I ne- it never fails. They see me Monday in the gym, and they're like, man, I don't understand. I saw you fall off that 20-foot ladder, and, you know, you land on concrete. I just – I can't believe that doesn't hurt, man. <laughs> Who said it didn't hurt? They're like, yeah, but it's choreographed. I'm
1: like,
0: no. I never told you it didn't hurt. And so I think there's just a misunderstanding of how physical it is sometimes. And, you know, I've had three neck surgeries. Um, My last one was 2017. And of course, my my nurse surgeon said I would never wrestle again. And I came back in nine months. Um, I don't know any other wrestler right now that's working um, that's had three neck surgeries. I I know um, Ed just had two. Uh, Several of my friends have had two. Arne Anderson had one and put him out. Um, I – but going back to the pain pills, you know, when you're hurting, obviously the pain pills just numb that and and you're able to work. And so I was telling you about the high ankle sprain when I was in Australia. The doctor over there knew I had a bit of a problem with addiction, and he would only give me like six pain pills a day. And so what I would do before I would go out and wrestle each night in Australia – about an hour to an hour and a half before the show, I, instead of taking the pills throughout the day, I would take all six at one time and have four or five beers. And I would go out and work, and nobody thought I was hurt. And the next morning, we'd catch a plane to fly to the next town, and I, I would have to have somebody carry me through the airport because I couldn't walk.
1: Shit.
0: You know, basically, it just covered it up. But I would go out and work with my, ta- my ankle taped up. And, you know, there I've seen some of the matches – and, and showing some people, it, it was the same thing at Inception Pay Per View where Lena and I worked a road dog. Um, it was still badly swollen and, and still hurt. And uh, but I said, you know, if you give me six pain pills and six beers, I can go out and do about anything. Now the next day, I'm going to look bad. Um, but there was a time um, towards the end of there at WCW where you know it, it was a daily thing for me to take forty pain pills a day, and that's just ridiculous. That's that's you know. Toxic at that point, way too much. And, you know, some people that only use pain pills for what they're used for will take one or two and they're like, oh, it makes me sick or puts me to sleep. Um, when you take them with regularity, they have a different effect on your body. That They take away the pain, but it's almost like it, it has an inverse effect of the sleep. It almost wakes you up a little more, almost like an upper. Right, and yeah. that was something I learned from some of my friends. And so, you know, I could wake up in the morning like groggy and almost hungover over and take four or five pain pills in the 30 minutes. It was like somebody gave me a shot of adrenaline. Right. And so uh, I have an addictive personality. I have learned that later on in life. And uh, once I kicked the pills and those kind of things and, and put them away for good, um, really drank way too much. And so what I realized I was just cross addictive. you know? And so I, I jokingly tell people, God didn't give me an off switch. Um, I had tons of friends who can have two or three drinks a day and be good. Um, I could never have two or three drinks. You know, it, it's what you learn in rehab that one's too many and a thousand's not enough. You know, that's the story of my life. I just, I, I'm not able to drink responsibly like so many people are. I just, it took me, I didn't, I didn't stop drinking until I was 39. So it took me a long time of my life to realize it's just something that I don't have power to control and I'm just
1: better without. Right. Um, when did you realize that now's the time to go to rehabilitation?
0: <sighs> um, I lost my job with WCW. And, you know, my last couple of years there, i made a lot of money. And so, you know, I had a, a, a big house, and cars and lots of fun toys. And I jokingly tell people, you know, I had a degree in political science, but what am I going to do with a degree in political science is going to pay me what wrestling did. And there's no, you know, you, you go in with a resume, what do you tell me you've been jumping off a cage for five years and hit people with a steel chair, what am I going to do in an office? And, um, you know, my drug use and, and alcohol kind of went off the deep end. It got to the point where I was, um, I, I missed a couple of shows, a couple of bookings. I would get there and um, and not perform, but not at my best. Um, and started affecting my vision. And then, and one morning, I just realized I just, I've had too much. And I went to an outpatient rehab Wow. And uh, that's when I got sober um, and, and really put the pills aside for a while. And um, I had my second neck surgery in 2002 when I ruptured a cervical disc in my neck. I, it was after I left Dusty Roads, Wrestling Company. I was working with a company here in Charlotte uh, called Russell Force America for John Boy and Bill. It's a big radio syndication thing in the States. And had my second neck surgery, and, and at that time I thought wrestling was done, and I was in a neck brace for six months. I had to sleep in it 24 hours a day, and I can't sleep on my back. And so it was a night. It was the thing of every night taking sleeping pills and drinking until I would pass out. And um, when I finally got the neck brace and got back in the gym, I I realized I had to kick the pills, which I did, but I, I continued to drink, thinking, you know, well, drinking is not going to kill me today. I'll, I'll be okay with that. Um, but even when I had my neck surgery back in 2017 and, and injuries since then, um, I refused to take any pain pills. And so that's, that's a self-imposed thing for me. But I know I can't afford to go back down that slippery slope again and I actually got in an argument uh, the morning of my surgery with my nurse anesthetist. She's like, no, you have to fill, fill your pain pill prescription. You won't be able to recover because you, you'll be in so much pain. You won't be able to sleep. Your body recovers while you're resting. You know, you, you'll have to have those. And I'm like, ma'am, I can't take them. You don't understand. I've got an addiction problem. And I can And everybody's like, you know, you can take them. If it's, you know, if it's for pain, it's okay. And I'm like, no, you don't understand me. I can't. So, you know, it's self-imposed. Like I said, I've had to use them so much in my past. But the good news is I got through it. it did it suck? Yeah, it sucked. And did it hurt? Yeah, it hurt. But I'm okay. I can still run and walk and talk and pick up my little girl. And, you know, like I can still wrestle. So I'm okay.
1: That's good, man. Uh, I'm glad to hear of your your success story and how you're doing so much better today. Um, I, I, also, I also wanted to trail back to something that I read about. You were supposed to join TNA in the early days with Lenny um, as the West yeah. Hollywood Blondes again, but due to your first neck surgery, Lenny ended up forming that team with Alan Funk instead. When I told yep. that to Alan, he actually had no idea that um, he was replacing you. And he was like, really? No way. Really? Oh <laughs> Yeah, I, I, actually,
0: I actually still have a signed contract with TNA that I signed with Jeff Jarrett um, to appear for four shows. Uh, that, that was my initial deal with them. And I signed it and sent it back to him, I think, the week before my surgery, hoping in my biggest hopes of all that I'd be able somehow to pull this off and work. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't to wasn't happen. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. They replaced, uh,
1: they replaced me with Alan. Right. Okay. Because yeah, Alan was just like just dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah. True story. That's good. Well, do you think if you 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 should you send that contract to Impact Wrestling now that maybe like, well, we still owe him four shots.
0: <laughs> you know.
1: um not Like that.
0: Does open. I, I heard they had a couple of openings recently.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Lenny and I can fill those in. You know, that was um strange enough. You say that Lenny and I actually uh, had had pitched an idea to um Scott Demore recently after he and I reconnected back in November, and uh,
1: we didn't hear much back from him. So that's a shame. Yeah, interesting. Put you both on TV in 2020. I guarantee you, it'll get over again. <laughs> I, I
0: I wish you could have seen the reaction we got in November at WrestleCade. It was great.
1: So, <laughs> Me too. You know,
0: it it was funny because Lenny Lenny had gotten a little bit out of shape for for a forty nine year old dude. He looked great uh, for a, a wrestler on TV. He did not. And so I put <laughs> him on a diet and he cleaned him up a little bit. And uh, man, he came into the show looking phenomenal. Uh, there are
1: pictures on my Instagram of both of us. He looked good. Cool, man. Um, yeah. I wanted to know about the the point when you uh, got back into wrestling, I believe 2004. Uh, yes, sir. You're no longer on mainstream wrestling television. What was it like going from that to the indies in 2004? Um, you know, at that point, I, I truly did not think
0: I was going to wrestle again for my second neck surgery. I thought I was finished. So the fact that I could come back um, was – a, a victory for me um i reconnected with a, a guy i broke into the business scotty matthews and we formed a tag team and we actually had multiple dark matches and runs um where wwe brought us in really Yep, yeah, there was and so they they booked us to come in together and then they would end up making us work separately they never let they never let us do a match together as a tag team which was kind of ironic um it was funny when my good friend Charles Robinson got me booked on a couple of shows. And uh <laughs> he told me, said, Hey man, I think they want the old Lodi back. So I let my hair grow out and had done it blonde again. And uh I, I didn't have quite the same hairline I did from WCW. And I, and I said, Charles is like, What are you doing with your head? I said, Well, I thought you wanted the old Lodi?" He goes, No, they want the young Lodi. <laughs> like, well that's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, um, your best friends, right? So um that was uh, – we had a couple of shots with them. And, you know, my last time working for them, I think, was 2006, or 2007, where I actually got to do a dark match. And I was down in Greenville, South Carolina, worked with a friend of mine named Brad Attitude. And Charles refereed my match. And Charles, like I said, one of my best friends. and so, so to have that opportunity to work there and do that, <clears throat> after that, I pretty much knew with my two neck surgeries and my career and my age, Um, that probably was not the thing for me, and uh, I was really comfortable doing my indie shows, you know, because I could go, and because of my experience, um, most places that booked me pretty much let me have my run of what I wanted to do when I came in, so I would come in and work with a top guy or whatever, Um, and, you know, it was 2011 or 2012, I reconnected with Scotty again. We formed our team, Fearless Tag Team, that we've been doing since then and and so that's what we've done um you know all of our shirts all of our merchandise you know all have a bible verse on them and it's kind of the way we spread our ministry now is we take wrestling which is a gift to us from god and we go out and wrestling and and spread the word that way And it's it's pretty cool to talk to kids before shows and intermission and and pray with adults and people like that who may not have heard the gospel or
1: may need to hear it again so it's been really good for both of us awesome man um I guess the next question is a uh, one of the last ones you know there's a few few more things to go but um now you've had three neck surgeries you still work quite a lot you got your yeah. wrestling school when do you think you may end up retiring and what would be the perfect for sc- scenario for you in that sense Oh
0: That's a tough one um and, and I, I would be lying if I said I hadn't thought about it. I don't I, I don't know what the perfect goodbye would be. Um, I know my best days are behind me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've enjoyed my kids at my school now that have been with me for almost two years. I started doing shows about a year ago. And I've, and I've been able to get in the ring and work with all of them. And so to take them from – you know, their first bump to be able to get into the ring and perform with me is, is always fun. Uh, I'd probably have to give it some thought to be like, you know, what would be the, the best scenario to say goodbye or or to wrap it up? And, and when that will be, I don't know. You know, Dash uh, – uh, change his name to Cash. Um, Daniels is really – Stephen Walters out of the FTR. Uh, yeah. What is it now? Cash? Cash Wheeler, right? Yes, something like that, yeah. Yes. Daniel is his real name. It's, it's gotten confusing for me. I'll just call him Daniel. But, you know, I, I met Daniel when he was 17. And at the time, I promised him I was going to retire when I was 35. Um, <laughs> needless to say, he, he rubs that in my face a lot these days. Because <laughs> that, that was 15 years ago, right? Um, I turned 50 in September. So uh, m- my goal this year is to be in the best shape when I turn 50 that I've ever been in before. And so I don't see retiring this year or next. Um, but I do know no, nobody beats father time, you know. And, um, it eventually inevitably catches up with all of us. And if, if there comes a time where I feel like my in-ring performance is just, you know, it looks like I'm falling in or I just can't perform anymore, I, I want to cut out before I and, and especially with me being a body guy, I'm like, if I don't look the part, I got to go. Um, but I'll also put where I am right now up with almost anybody on TV. Um, I, I work really hard to stay in shape and, and make sure that that's not one of my knocks because it's hard for me sometimes to see some of my friends who will still occasionally get in the ring and they've really let their bodies go. And you, you hear the fans, you're like, man, what happened to so-and-so? You know, yeah. he doesn't really look so good anymore. And I'm like, I don't ever want to be that guy. I'm too narcissistic, right? So uh, I, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but also, no, I can't do it forever. God's blessed me and allowed me to do it for over half my life now, you know, and, and still, like I said, to be, still be able to walk and talk and run and, and pick up my daughter even though she's now 13 in December. <laughs> like, she doesn't like being picked up anymore, but I can still do it. Um, <laughs> you know, it is kind of like talking about earlier with CW. You know, I, I don't want to, to get to that point where – I have to walk away because I don't have a choice because I've done something, you know, where I'm physically hurt or whatever. And so I, I've got to be smart about it.
1: Right. Um, I and mean, we said this to Alan Funk, um, put him in an AEW locker room. I mean, the, the shape that he's still in, yeah. he looks amazing, you know, and yeah. you know, I would say the same thing about you put you yeah. in that locker room. Look, and I'm not trying to pick on them or anything, but a lot of those guys look like there's still waiting for puberty to hit. Um, put you in there. Damn, you know, you, you, you're, you're taller yeah. than most of them probably. and <laughs> Yeah.
0: I, I Listen, I, I watched the AEW show. Um, I got some friends there. Um, Love seeing Arn back on TV again, Arn
1: Anderson.
0: Right. Yeah. To, to see him back in that spot. You know, with his, Do you listen to his podcast very much? Have you heard it?
1: Not really, no. Uh, that's just because uh, Conrad Thompson kind of annoys me a little bit. But <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, Conrad does that with some people. Um, Arndt, you know, I think at this point in his career, I think it's really cool that he's starting to get recognition that he never got before. I think a lot of the young kids today are starting to look back at his old promos his matches, and they're like, you know, his promos were believable. Yeah. You know, his work, his work was believable. Everything he did, it kind of stands up to this day. It wasn't a lot of hokey stuff. It wasn't a lot of screaming and yelling and crazy character stuff. It was believable. And um, uh, I love seeing him back in that role. It, it's good to see that. And uh, um, I've got a couple of friends who have, have done some of the recent – dark tapings for the last four or five weeks that i've worked with since they were much younger and i'm looking forward to those guys being big stars one day john schuyler and brady pierce had, i don't know if you watch the dark show they have on youtube um yeah that they, they've done some of the last tapings and i've worked with those guys since they kind of broke into business and i'm big fans of both of those uh skyler got hurt working with a new dark order two weeks ago and, and tore his acl but he had surgery on friday and they expect him back in three to six months but I expect those two kids to both get contracts with AEW when the whole coronavirus thing's over. Uh, I know they're high on them, and they're bringing them down for every one of the dark tapings. So remember the names Brady Pierce and John Schuyler. And John mm-hmm. Skyler was actually Daniel Cash Wheeler's tag team partner before he went to WWE. Right, so okay. He's, he's a good kid, yeah. Both, both those guys. Put them high on your charts to look for. John Skyler and Brady Pierce.
1: Will do. I'll keep that in mind. And one thing I do want to say about Arn is uh, with his promos, I have to say he has made a tear drop from my eye before with something that he, some right. things he said, you know, he really yeah. has been able to strike a chord with me whenever, you know, there's been a an overly emotional uh, segment taking place. So, you know, yeah, you're that's, totally that's not, right with that. Not a, lot of, not a lot of guys can do that, man. That's great. You, you know he's great when he
0: can do that, right? Definitely. I
1: mean, Definitely. Just, I, mean yeah. I, I just want to feel something. And when, like, I feel something, I'm like, yes, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I'm looking for. Um, so I, I do have a little segment I'm going to throw up in a minute, but I, I want to ask two more questions. Uh, yeah. Do you have any regrets looking back?
0: You know, um, that's a great question. And I could say um, I wish I had done less with the drugs and focused more on my wrestling. Wish I had said no to some of the partying lifestyle. But to be totally honest, I think everything happened to me for a reason. And what I mean by that is um, I was a youth group leader in my church for seven years. And my co-leader was a youth pastor whose dad was a pastor, led, you know, an, an amazingly awesome straight life. And when the young kids would come to the youth pastor and ask him, they'd be like, hey, I got this going on. He would try to give him advice. The kids would be like, can you ask Lodi? Because, like, he dealt with it. You've never done anything wrong. <laughs> and so <laughs> Matt would call me. And, you know, and, and the, the funny thing about that is it's like, the kids, you know, if I wasn't there, if I was at a show or something, I would get a phone call on Sunday night from Matt, and he's like, hey, the kids don't believe me. And they said, call Lodi because he'll tell them the truth. You know, so Nikita Koloff and I, um, Nikita was one of the, the few men as a young man when I first saw him wrestling that scared me to death when I saw him up close. He was one of the biggest, largest, most muscular men ever. And I'm so thankful to be able to call him a brother in Christ now, a good friend. And we normally have lunch once a month and do a pastor's meeting together. Um, But Nikita talked about everything he and I had done through wrestling was God's plan to put us where we are now. Because hopefully, if I was sitting here trying to talk to some kids about not using drugs or not becoming an alcoholic or not chasing women, but I'd never done any of those things, I've got no credibility with them but because I screwed all those things up, you know, and I went to rehab and I made those mistakes.
1: Yeah.
0: I do have some credibility to the point of where they'll at least listen.
1: Yeah.
0: And I said, and so I do think that there are so many instances and 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 one of my fears when I do my public speaking or whether it's for a business or in a school or in a church, I never want to over glamorize the rock and roll lifestyle, the drugs and the alcohol because I know it's easy for young kids to be like, dude, you were on MTV, you know, you're on VH1, you were on magazines, you're on video games. You got a video game character. All that stuff's cool and great, you know, and I managed to turn my life around, but it took me until I was 39 or 40. And so I'm, I'm afraid when I tell that story, some of these kids like, oh, you know, I can party for 15 years and then I can turn my life around later. And so many guys don't get that chance because yeah. they OD or they go to jail or they just make mistakes along the way. And so um, when, when I'm asked if I would change that now, no, it's, it's, it's how it's made me who I am today and allows me to understand when, when I deal with a kid who's got a drug issue and he tells me he can't stop or he doesn't feel like he can stop or he feels like nobody loves him or he feels like this is what he has to do. And, and I have some comprehension of that because I've been there. You know, and if I've never done that, there's no way I could feasibly help those kids that that I'm hoping to reach now and save them. It's just like my kids coming along, getting into the business. If I can take one or two of those kids that I'm trained to wrestle, and, and I've got a couple that have the possibility to make it to a big stage one day. If I can impart in them and really beat in their heads that don't make the mistakes I made, and not only will you make the big money, but you'll make it for a long time. You know they won't take it away from you because you have an addiction problem or your addictions are affecting your ability to do your job
1: yeah
0: um, I've, got, I've got some credibility there so you know in, in hindsight it, it put me where I am today and, and I love my life and I feel like I've been way way more blessed than anybody deserves to be um, especially so I'm thankful for where I am and so you know if i could avoid some of the pain along the way it might have be been a little easier maybe two broken necks instead of three <laughs> But yeah we will
1: go with it i got it i got through it i i i i'm hearing you, and i feel like you had to learn these lessons so that you can teach people later on and help them out that's exactly it man um i wanted before we get to a segment it's called 5 second frenzy um but I want you to plug anything that you have going on, anything that you want to promote. Uh, yeah. We're not like the most, we're not Comrade Thompson. We don't get hundreds of thousands of uh, downloads, <laughs> but there's anything you want to promote, put out there, please. Here's your opportunity.
0: Yeah. You know, my, my social media stuff, my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter accounts, all loady One Brad. Um, you know, every day I put up a, you know, a Bible verse and kind of explain what it means to me and put my appearances where I'm going to be, that kind of thing up there. Uh, Yourflexbill.com is the gym and the personal training studio that I own and the wrestling school and all that stuff. So, you know, if you find one of those, they'll all lead you to the other ones. So they're, they're all linked together. Um, if anybody's looking for anything, they can reach out. And if the questions I didn't cover today, if they have questions about some of the things I said or, you know, they just uh, want to talk, you know, I, I'm pretty
1: open to – answer when I can get to it so excellent bro um so five second frenzy is the segment that yeah. we end everything with and the rule is you have five seconds to answer every question but the joke is that even if you break those five seconds there's nothing I can do about it because I live in Perth Western Australia so um, perfect here we go favorite match you've already said is Raven and Saturn right right
0: 1998 fall brawl
1: who's your favorite opponent Kidman. What makes you happiest in life? The beach. What's your favorite food? Sushi. Who is your favorite band? Jason Aldean. (laughs) What's your favorite drink?
0: Orange Crystal Light. It's like a ripoff
1: of (laughs) Kool-Aid. Fair enough. Uh, What is your favorite female body part? The brain. That's what Scott Hudson said. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, what is your favorite curse word? You know what, man? You don't curse anymore?
0: I don't. (laughs) Very, very rarely. And listen, here's the funny thing. You're, you're talking to a guy who was in the wrestling business and in the military. Every word I used to get, every other <laughs> word, like, I was terrible. And my biblical mentor and I read this, we did this Bible study. And one of the things was, you know, there's a verse that says, we'll be judged on the words we use. And so he was explaining I, I tried to explain to him how if you lay on a wrestling match, have you ever been around two wrestlers putting a match together?
1: Yes, I used to wrestle.
0: Oh, okay. Perfect. So I didn't know that. Perfect. So in the States, I I don't know how you guys did this in Perth, but before I cleaned my mouth up a little bit and cleaned my language up and listen, I do my best to not ever use those words anymore to the point of where on a lot of independent shows. Now I can be in a locker room, you know, there's lockers, people spread out and somebody will cuss on one side of the locker room and somebody will go, Hey man, Lodi's in here. Sorry, Lodi. It's All right. (laughs) they'll even they'll even try to clean up around me right now, but that's not that's not where i've always been it took me a long time to change you know but as i would explain to my biblical mentor i'm like if you and i were going to lock up this is this is loy's old way of talking all right, all right we'll, we'll effing lock up and i'll effing cut you off and i'll have to give you a <laughs> shot and give you a boot it's like you had to put that in there right that's just it, it was just like you know it was just part of our language and i'll never forget he looked at me kind of sideways and he goes well, just stop. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> you know, like, never thought about that. And, um, but, you yeah, know, and Scotty and I both, my tag team partner, we, we both cleaned that up. And, you know, it, it's funny the respect we get in the locker room now for not doing that. And then somebody says something, and somebody will yell, hey, man, loading Scotty are here. Sorry, loading and Scotty. It's all right. You know, so, yeah. But if you'd asked me that question 15 years ago, I'd have probably given you five. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm far from perfect. I I a I hundred times before six a.m. every day. I'm just trying to do better.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, man. And um, uh, but uh, before I wrap it up, I, I do want to keep talking to you after I wrap this show up, um, just for a few minutes. But uh, I want to thank you for your time, Lodi. Uh, sure. This show is, I I kind of want to make this about the unsung heroes of wrestling. And I feel like you're an unsung hero of wrestling that doesn't get put into the conversation enough because I think you, just from this conversation today, you are a hell of a person and this planet is a better place because you're on it. And um, everything that you've done, you've accomplished. Many people will not be able to say that they were over on tv when wrestling was at its hottest that it's ever been and you can say that you did that and i hope you're very very proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business
0: yeah yeah again a blessed and charmed life man right place right time and god given just you know looked after me and put me in the right place when i needed
1: to be there excellent and uh thank you again yes sir And ladies and gentlemen, that was the 55 Live podcast in conjunction with the WCWA Network. I am your host, California In Fury. Thank you for joining us. And you will be with us again next time when we have the opportunity to talk to the one and only Al Snow. Thank you.